thoughts, we can turn on the stress response just by thought alone. We can think about our problems and turn on those chemicals. That means then our thoughts could make us sick. So if it's possible that our thoughts could make us sick, is it possible then our thoughts could make us well? The answer is absolutely yes. You're listening to the Weekly Call Podcast with Austin, Hammer, and John. Welcome. It's enormously important that you do have the right friends. If they make you a better person than you otherwise would be, that's the ultimate gift. It deals for the most part with success. It deals with people who you started your life off with and what success does to them. People look at you strange saying you changed, like you worked that hard to stay the same, like you're doing all this for a reason. Remind yourself, this fight that you're in, this is what will make you stronger. Hey guys, welcome back to another so, episode of The Weekly Call. Episode 185. Um, and, Why are we counting? Uh, Why are we counting? I don't know. Why do we should use numbers? We be count- no, no, no. Yeah, but should I've we... actually talked. I've actually talked about this on the podcast before, like about how I think age is a total like age is just useless. I like, was just saying it because it's a fact. I wasn't being like, "Yo, guys, check this out." Episode one eighty five. I need some credit. No, but like, but imagine if we did many, that. But think about how many things in in society are determined by age that are not determined by competency, like voting. Not, no, no competency required. Just eighteen in in uh, Canada. Driving, it's like 16, cool, you can get a license, you know? It's like, there's so many things where it's like, yeah, yeah you just hit a certain age, yep, you're competent. It's like, man, I get that's like a general thing, but I don't know. Yeah, okay, uh, so... Imagine uh, you did got... that in your life with Miranda. Hey, Miranda, how you doing? This is conversation 1,215. <laughs> well, well, I mean, a lot of relationships kind of actually kind of do that. Like, you track anniversaries, right? right? Like, Yeah, Why not count sex. No, you don't, do. John. Yeah. What are you on? Uh, episode what? No. What we do is every single time we have sex, we put a little jelly bean in a jar. Since Damn. you started dating. Correct. And now you've had to move apartments because the apartment's filled up or what? <laughs> John's going like, to go yeah. the other way. <laughs> I got a bulk barn. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. We don't have sex. Fair enough. You know, the jelly bean in a jar idea is actually kind of funny, though. Well, my grandmother, it actually came from my grandmother. So my grandmother said to me, she's like, um, she said, she said, uh, if you count all of, she's, it, she said, if you put a jelly bean in a jar every single time you had sex within the first five years of your marriage, she's like, the, the jar would be full. If you took one out for every time you had sex after your fifth year, it would never be empty. Oh, damn. That's what she said. Damn. I don't know how realistic that stat is, but my grandmothers tend to be pretty wise. So I don't know if she actually has like real data on that. What a that's just her feeling a, of it, but that's what she said. What an interesting uh concept. Yeah. I, I Yeah. Interesting. I guess you and I are on year six, John, so I guess we've already plateaued, eh? According well, to not year five of marriage. We're we're pushing off the marriage. Oh, year five of marriage. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, yo, so I'm doing really good. I actually wanted to ask you guys a quick question. Have you guys seen the, uh, Pepsi where's my jet documentary? Fucking unreal. Dude, uh, yeah. except for the, the ending was disappointing, but otherwise, like, I, I haven't yeah. seen the end yet. I've only watched oh. it. Here, here's how I watched it. I watched the first 10 minutes. Then I went to episode three and watched the last 10 minutes. Dude, you're such amazing. a, you're such a loser. Amber, you actually missed out on quite a bit. Not that really. Like, that was like, 
Nah, well, fair enough. I mean, I don't, I liked it. I thought it was good. I just wanted to know Amber, if he got his jet, and I got my answer. You know what? Yeah, he did not. Yeah, but do you know what? Why'd you me ruin of? it for dude, him, dude? What? I just said I wasn't done. Oh my god! Bruh. You see how I I was being tactical with the way I answered. I thought it. that he no, I thought that he already got that when I said it was disappointing. I feel like you just. I feel like someone said, "Oh, did you finish it?" And I said, "No." Or is that yeah, you? No, I knew you didn't. No, I know. I, I knew you didn't finish it. Oh, I thought okay. I started off with saying it's a disappointing ending. And then I thought you said, dude, yeah. I didn't finish it. Oh, like, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, my bad. My bad. I guess, I guess yeah. disappointing would have already said it too. Yeah. I yeah, my bad. I, I thought that, I thought the reason why you mentioned you didn't finish it was. But hey, you know what? Spoiler alert. Well, it's too late if you're listening. It's to still this. good. Yeah, it's but, still very uh, good. It's hilarious. Amber, the first thing I thought of when I saw that and I started watching it was when you had showed us about that Bitcoin thing. What thing? Remind me. When Amber like tried putting together that pool to like buy the Bitcoin that was confiscated by the U.S. government. Oh, dude, you guys remember that, eh? Oh. Which, low-key, that would have been, like, one of the best investments of dude, all Dude, I forgot about that. That was <laughs> like, early on. That was, like... Yeah, I know. No, that was, like... That was when Bitcoin was, like, $1,000. <laughs> like, hammer. No, wait. Hammer no, no. no that was... um. I can pull up this, the, the... That thing. was right when we started recording this podcast. That oh, was dude, like, that was, like, early. That was, like... I think I think Bitcoin was, like, a couple thousand dollars at the very... No, 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 no. We, it, we it, talked it about peaked. it in the beginning of the podcast. Uh, when we started but this is something i did in 2017 yeah what was bitcoin in 2017 though uh, it was like six grand and then it went up to 14 <sighs> let's see bitcoin. bitcoin's max was 60 i don't know 80,800 in 2017 this time last it was... year now it's at actually it was 22,000 it was actually what? wait it was like 20 what uh, it depends on when in 2017 it was because it went up to like 16,000 it went up to 20,000 US at the end of 2017 yeah I don't really talk about that uh, that thing actually I, I could probably but at can. the beginning of 2017 it was at 1,000 so it like 16 x in that year so depending on when you were in there and then and then from there huh, it I found down it 82% oh dude it was 2019 which was also a low 3,500 yeah there it is depends on when in 2019 though because it was also What's the date? <clears throat> yeah, I remember you sent that guy an email, eh? Uh, 15 million Jan- dollars. No, January 2018. Damn. Uh, what was your rookie year of student work, dude? Would have been a bad time. Two years ago, the U.S. Marshals announced to the public the auctioning off 3,813 bitcoins valued yeah, at would have been a bad time, million Amber. at the time. Unfortunately, was January written. 12th, it was at almost an all-time high. For, like, it, it, you, you would only be up 21% even today. Mm. So... Yeah. So yeah, there's yeah, the whole. Sorry, John. What did you say the payoff would have been? If you still had that same Bitcoin today, twenty one percent. Twenty one percent of what it was worth then. Yeah. No, really? no, like twenty one percent higher. Oh, sorry. Okay, yeah, that got it. You you would have lost money if you had a body even just one month earlier, though. Mm. Damn, dude! This is such a terrible email. <laughs> wow. I love how Amber throws the confidential in there. Well, I think it was at the time, so right? Bad, no, dude. it was public information. <laughs> it was, it was. It was literally just oh, on their man. website. But and you were trying to like crowdfund the money to buy it? Yeah. Or to auction it? Yeah, yeah. And I got a so hold of a couple like of a... centimillionaires. It was pretty crazy. Centimillionaires, a hundred million air plus? Yeah. Centimillionaire. I've never heard of that. Really? Yeah. Just no, I have never heard of the term, yeah. Senta? No. 
Yeah, but... Uh, so wait, what was the thing you wanted to talk to us about? Yeah, it's so random you brought that up. Uh, I just wanted to know if you guys had seen it because I thought it was a hilarious oh, but also clever documentary. You know? Oh, I see. Um, because it's just like these guys that are like so conniving, like they're, they're, they're hilarious, but they're also like, I'm going to get this jet because Pepsi messed up. Yeah, I, I actually thought like, of something. I feel like I feel like if there was anyone to, if someone said, "Yo, who's the guy in your life that would probably go for the jet?" Ammer. I would think I think Ammer. <laughs> yeah, Ammer would be Ammer. like, "No, no, no! I'll figure out a way to get the seven million points." And he'd like he would the one he'd be the one doing the math of like, "Okay, I need to buy one point four million cases of Pepsi." Uh, that's you know this many cubic feet. This that's six warehouses. But it's also I'll, just the obsession I'll of find... like over something like just ridiculous. You're like it is. What? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'll yeah. say this though: out of all my friends, if I had a friend that was like wealthy and was gonna fund that, I would say Tristan. Tristan would be the guy to be like, "Fuck yeah, I'll do it." Tristan would have been the rich guy that would have funded it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like Tristan, yeah. And I can Tristan see would it. try and drag my ass into it. I just know. <laughs> Yeah, Tristan is totally the guy to do that. <sighs> That's so. Funny. Like Tristan, be like, yeah, like I don't know. He just he's into alternative investments. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, funny. I'm just saying, like, out of all my friends, the guy who's going to like have like, an expensive art collection, it's going to be Tristan. Like, it's just <laughs> it's just going to be Tristan. <laughs> alternative investments. Yeah. That's just a sneak disc, to be honest. That's all. No, I it's hear. not a sneak disc. It's not a sneak disc. Alternative investments. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not a sneak disc at all, dude. Do you know what I, I, uh, I was, uh, I, I feel like now that I have like a, I'm trying to like have like a bit of an investor's lens on things. So like I'm always trying to like think about like, hmm, who owns that, right? And so I was, I was watching like a, I watch like the local news, uh, like a, like not, not watch local news rather, but it's like there's like a, it's called Castanet. I don't know if you guys have that out east, probably not. Either way, it's like a local web page where you can just get all the local news. And I like, I just like to see, like, kind of see what's going on locally. And I was watching a video of, uh, of the RCMP, which had a video on there, which were announcing, hey, we're going to do our, our holiday checks for uh, drinking and driving. And at the end of it, the cop was going over, like, the expenses related to it. And he's like, yeah, and one of the expenses, you have to get uh, a smart start uh, breathalyzer installed in your car and pay a monthly subscription. I'm like, hmm, say what? Because I was thinking to myself, like, man, government mandated thing probably monopoly pricing i'm like interesting and it's monthly it, but your customers like the retention rate is 100 like they can't they can't choose to get not have it right and i was like man that must be a great business i look into it apollo asset management owns it i'm like fucking those guys man i was like what a great business that would probably be who are these guys apollo asset management yeah it's like the biggest private equity firm in the world sure about that yeah how much do they manage? I don't know. Well, no, 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 no. They don't manage private equity. They've got five hundred and twelve point eight billion under management. Yeah, but but they're private equity though, so it's like it's a little bit different. Like it's not like BlackRock. Oh, what's the difference? Like Black, well, because Apollo manages their own assets, whereas BlackRock manages other people's assets. Yeah. Isn't Berkshire bigger than Apollo? But it's not private. Oh, okay. yeah. Berkshire's public. Yeah. Hmm. How many people own Apollo? No idea. Well, sorry, no uh, but Apollo does have a stock price, which would what? lead me to believe that it is. Yeah, it's uh, $68.25 US. Okay, well, I can just go fuck myself then. Yeah. I don't know if that's the company, though. It is, it's yeah. Apollo Global Management. Cool. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Almost $69. Damn. How much is, what's the market cap? 
Only forty billion. Oh. Oh, see, they probably have a division that's publicly traded. Maybe. No idea. Either way, they own it though, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, man. Government contracts. Well, there's a bunch of businesses like that that are interesting, like. Um, like and, and some of these aren't necessarily publicly traded things, but just like even like like a private business, which would be interesting, like uh like fire fire alarm checking, like that's just a mandatory thing, like it's mandated by the government. You have to get your buildings fire alarms checked, right? Mm. Like things like that are interesting, right? Mm. True. Yeah, like roofing's almost similar. Hey, Austin, like you kind of yeah. have to get your roof done. Like there's not yeah. really an option. <clears throat> Correct. Yeah, you don't really have an option. Like, you can fuck off with your siding for, like, a long-ass time, but your roof is kind of like, I don't know, man, if you got water coming through. Like, I wonder if, like, is a house even insurable if the roof isn't, like, proper? Probably no. not. Yeah. No. Uh, most most insurers out here uh, will stop insuring your roof after 20 years uh, without getting it changed with the current, like, the shingles that we're replacing now, the older technology, we'll call it, um, if they're on your house for more than 20 years, the company, the insurers will stop insuring you until you get it replaced. Now, there's a lot of things. Like, even when I was in New Zealand, I was thinking, like, roofs. They're all metal, right? And mm. I was thinking, I'm like, man, like, I bet the roofing companies just make a fortune out there because, like, mm. they're probably constantly getting just ripped apart by the weather, right? They're probably mm. always having to get yeah redone, right? Yeah, yeah. Or does metal last, like, a long time? Yeah, I was saying, uh, forget where actually, but yeah, our Halifax division had the best, is going to finish number one this year, mainly because of Hurricane Fiona. Yeah, and, no, exactly. And, right? and they're also yeah. a great franchise, I will say. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's shout not just out, luck. I mean, shout yeah. out Andrew Solomon. Uh, but yeah, they're going to do like 2.4 million, 2.3 million. Good for him. Good for him. Um, wow. Yeah, but I think he sold like 400K in like three weeks after the hurricane or something. It no, it's a nuts. good point, though, right? <clears throat> Like, I think he There's was just firing. Out, like I think that. he was like sending out buddies to go present quotes because there were so many quotes to present. Like, it's just like, point, look, man. here's the quote. It's printed. Just go get a deposit. Like, just one well, is probably restoration. <laughs> too, this person right? doesn't have a roof. There's, there's no objection. Like, you know, well, that was yeah. it restoration work as well. Uh, yeah, but I think they had to kind of sub well, sub, but also, uh, you can't. Well, I guess it depends. If it's like in a crisis, yeah, you can rebuild trusses, but in theory, I don't like we're not supposed to do that because we're not builders licensed in that province. But um, I don't think there was a lot of, like if, if a house was f totally rinsed, like the roof literally flew off where <laughs> the roofing company isn't the first one you call. Um, but yeah, a lot of people were just oh, yeah, missing. No, I get that. The, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of people were just missing, missing like sections yeah. of the roof. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of things like that, right? Like, um, like in, in, in how trends can uh, affect that. Like, if you think about it, like uh, insurance, yeah. like car insurance companies, like they would benefit tremendously if there's more leased cars or rented cars. Yeah. Than yeah, if yeah. they were owned. Dude, two point four million. Sorry, sorry, I did. Sorry, John. I just took that in. Yeah, I mean, two point four is like a crazy amount of money. But is that yeah. like what's the was the were the profits healthy? Uh, yeah, yeah, like they're what they're supposed to be. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. Yeah. Sully cashed in. Oh, yeah. But uh, he's also, I think his goal next year is $4 million. So I think he's doing a lot of purchasing for, um, I mean, he's not doing it yet, but he's going to be doing it over the next couple weeks or months to prepare for spring. Uh, probably getting a couple more trucks. He might be choosing to run an in-house crew, uh, an extra in-house crew, which just takes up more equipment and trailers and maybe even a few dump trailers. So 
it's probably a you know, reasonably capital intensive business if you want to like have like a four million dollar uh roofing yeah. business. it's not all subbed out yeah i think uh it, what's really cool too is that sully just joined the senior management team too so he's coaching the two other franchises out east because just because of the geographical challenge like for adel or myself to go out there to to coach people more intimately is actually quite challenging so um i'm coaching the majority of of, of ontario and quebec and uh, Sully's coaching everything east of Quebec. So there's one in Fredericton, New Brunswick, his business in Halifax, and then a new franchise in St. John's, Newfoundland. So he's coaching three, but he also just hired an operations manager too. Yo, remember uh, Andrew Newhook, uh, Ammer? Yeah. He just hired him. Nice. Yeah. That's sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, and Newhook was in our rookie year of Student Works. Uh, could could uh he could drink me under the table could smoke ammer out and no, no effort i'm just joking um <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody toddler. Yeah, toddler. <laughs> yeah uh anyway um but it, it's interesting because he's gonna be setting the tone for well there's him and there's ben ben's in kingston ontario and they're kind of the same, like, I think Ben's going to finish at 2.1. Sully's going to finish between 2.3 and 2.4. So they're almost the same business, really, in terms of scale. But the first franchise to do over $3 million, that's going to be, like, a, like, something worth studying and replicating and seeing how it goes. Because, like, as a franchise, we're also figuring out, like, what is going to be more advantageous for people above that mark, right? Like, when you start shifting from in-house crews to subcontractors... Uh, what's more advantageous to scale because obviously in-house crews just take way more uh, logistics and overhead so subcontractor subcontracting is more scale friendly but obviously you're paying more for that um, so there's, there's so many variables to, to take into account because the way that the original business uh, out of Ottawa uh, existed was they the pendulum swung for them too like as they went from 3 million to 5 million to 7 million to 8 million to 9 million. I think their biggest year was 10 million. Um, their biggest year ever, I think they subbed, they subcontracted more percentage of work, which isn't surprising. Um, but then it's also like, is that is that something we want to recommend and coach uh, when you get to that level as a franchisee? Well, you, your, your growth profit, would be right? way slower if you didn't. Because, like, in order to run a $10 million uh, roofing business, I mean, you probably have to have, like, what, like, three, $400,000 in trucks and equipment? Um, yeah, that sounds about right. I'm just, I'm just, I'm no, just, no, no, you're, you're, you're not, you're probably not far off. I just yeah. hadn't thought, yeah, in my head. But, like, million, so if you think yeah. about it, though, like, so in order to build up to that amount and then plus the fixed costs associated with having all of that, like, you're fucking making a serious commitment. For sure. Yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of that equipment is, um, yeah, you can write it all off, but it's all, yeah. uh, a lot of it's just like, it's getting, well, not it's, writing it off. It's all getting depreciated. It's getting yeah. depreciated, but it's also getting beaten up. <laughs> like, oh, you know, yeah, those, tru no, those no, trucks no, are getting beat up. Getting yeah. Depreciated. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. So like forcefully it's by man. Yeah. It's um, something you really ask yourself. Yo, also just so you guys know, I found this out last week. Um, the CRA, um, created a new legislation this year to increase small business activity. And what they did is they they increased or they included certain asset classes to be written off as expenses. 
And one of those asset classes happens to be, and John, this is why I want to tell you, because if I'm the first one telling you this, I, I expect to see a pretty big fucking smile on your face. I'm not going to lie. But um, one of those asset classes is limited franchise agreements. Uh, how would that like? So did you have an original buy-in fee for uh, Pierre? Yeah. When did you make that purchase? Like, when did the funds leave your account as a month? Uh, August. August 2022 or 2021? I think you'll still be able to get it included. But essentially what that means is that instead of taking that purchase, because that's a purchase of an asset, so you can't just like write it off like you bought a, you know, a a three-ton truck. You can fully depreciate it in the first year, basically. You can fully depreciate that buy-in in the first year but it doesn't impact on your profit and loss report. It, it doesn't impact your net earnings. Well, yeah, well, well, it would have to in order for it to benefit you. Well, no, but this is what I'm saying is that it, it doesn't. Like, that's the new legislation. Like, well, it, it, it's presented, you. well, it's presented in a way that it, it's in your balance sheet or not your balance sheet, in your profit and loss report, you sorry, have but, an but, expense. But, but, sorry, it, it would decrease your taxable earnings is what you're saying. Correct, sorry, yeah. Yeah, which would, yeah, which would decrease your net in- income, which is fine. I mean, your cash. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah I understand. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just yeah, saying yeah. that, like, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but you know, for example, you know the 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 tax that you would have paid on the net profit of your corp without that is is remarkably different. Yeah, your your tax bill went down, your net income went down, but your cash flow went up. Yeah, correct. Because basically it went up by the amount that you'd pay taxes. So in this case, we would have made an extra, well, not made, but like we would have saved $3,500 in taxes in BC or whatever. Right. Yeah. No, cool. So anyway, it was just nice. Yeah. But I think, um, uh, well, A, you should, you know, look into that. I guess my franchise fee was higher. We already filed our taxes. So like for the year. So Mm, I I think, I don't, if we would have qualified for it, I'm sure our accountants would have said something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. I think it may have just been in twenty twenty two, possibly. I think so too. I feel like I would have heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Because <clears throat> my corporate year end is September thirtieth, so I paid my franchise fee in two installments, and the first installment was after my, my, my. Although it makes me think, though, I almost want to, like when I write my next contract for ProWorks, I almost want to have a fifty thousand dollar buy in. That's refundable as long as I do one dollar in revenue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like a fifty thousand dollar kickback. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, seriously yeah. though, like why not? I mean, it's fucking. I have a two year contract and it's up. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. like, hey, fifty. I want a fifty thousand dollar buy in with a fifty thousand dollar kickback made January thirty first, assuming I do one dollar revenue in January. John, do you negotiate your contracts when you go to every resign? two years? Yeah. Wow, interesting. So, what does it look? like? Have you negotiated already for the new one? No, they're kind of they're kind of like doing what they always do, which is drag their fucking feet. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, John's throwing shade. Well, uh, I, mean, I say it right to their face. Yeah, <laughs> they are. I mean, it's fucking. It's December. It's December fourth, and you know I, I haven't even seen a single fucking draft. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is yeah. it like for classic? Is, classic. Hey, can you get this signed by tomorrow night? It's like fucking Christmas, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, is it like for January first? Like it's the calendar year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what do you think you, are you going to try to change anything? Like, do you think you're going to negotiate something different? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, I mean, I'll change, I'll change a few things, but nothing really major. Yeah. Okay. There's not really much of a negotiation, really. Like it's, it's kind of a non-negotiable, but yeah. But you said you could, like, like, do certain people get, um, better deals or better rates based on their, like, outside of the normal templated agreement for a ProWorks franchise? Like, can someone actually negotiate? <sighs> I like to look for things that don't cost someone else something. Like, I'll give you a really good example. Yeah, um, I remember you telling us a bit about this in Quebec City. I can talk about this. I can talk about this now because it's so long after the fact that, you know, whatever. But one of the things that I actually did, which was a little different with StudentWorks when I was transitioning, was I I had asked the franchise company, in this case, Dan. Um, I said, Dan, I said, I'll swap to ProWorks, but I want all of my um, kickback, or sorry, I want all of my royalty, or not my royalty, all my um, uh, warranty claim back now, rather than waiting the three years. So, like, to him, it made it makes no difference, because it's like, okay, I'm signing on to ProWorks, I agree that I'm going to do all of my warranty claims, which I fucking have never had a warranty claim, so it doesn't really, it, it's irrelevant. But then also, it was like, he had like $40,000 in my money that was going to get, you know, given to me over the course of three years. But instead, I got it all up front. So right, because like, you're in the same turf. And if there was a warranty claim, you'd have to honor it. Yeah, anyway. yeah. but like, that's an example of like, it's like, that's it, to me, like, that's a good negotiation because it's like, to him, it costs him literally nothing. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, so yeah. I guess I'm going to hang on to your money or I'm going to give it back to you now. Here's your money, right? So just little small things like that, you know, or like, Hey, you know, rather than 5,000 free flyers, I'd like 10, you know, and, but at the same time, it's like, you can also just, he can justify it. Cause he's like, well, it barely cost me anything. And then also it's like, he's going to do more revenue. So it's like, okay, fine. Like, mm. you know, um, yeah, I like, like I that, John. People, like, Damn. I like most that. People, when most people think of negotiation, they, they instantly go to royalty. And realistically, it's like, you can be that guy who like wants to take as much meat off the bone, but I'm actually not a big fan of like taking all the meat off the bone because eventually people don't want to do business with you if they find out that no one, everyone's starving when they do, when they do work with you. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm actually been, I'm, I've been, a, my negotiation has always been, you know, like if a client's going to negotiate with me, I usually give them a little bit more than I would, that most people would think like off, you know, or if I was like negotiating with like, you know, over a royalty or something like that, I would let them keep a bit on the bone. I want to make sure that they feed themselves and I want to make sure that they make money because I want them to do business with me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm, I'm much more inclined to be like, okay, yeah, fine. Like client, I'll give you this, this amount of money off because that seems to matter to you. But I also want to have my lawn sign up and a Google reference. You know what I mean? Like, like these are things that don't cost them anything that mean actually quite a bit to me. Right. So yeah. Yeah. yeah and now that I know about this next door or next neighbor thing or whatever Amber told me about, um next door um you know now it's now another piece i have in my leveraging thing and be like hey do you have next door the person's like yes i'm like sweet um i would like to have you post in there for me um when we start the project you know saying how mm. awesome the experience has been yeah you know and that's a part of the deal and i'd write that in the contract right and then if the client doesn't then i would have a consequence of like you know hey if you don't write this then here's the you know yeah so those are things that I like to negotiate for. I, I always try and negotiate. Uh, like, actually, here's a great negotiation. I had a, I had a client and they, um, they so we, we had kind of messed up uh, a part of a job for them. And then we, we came back, we fixed it all. It was fine, but it was a total hassle for them. And so we, we, we you know, we, we want to make it right. So uh, she'd asked for a dollar amount off, but then rather than giving the dollar amount, uh, we gave her credit for, so like rather than giving her $1,000 in painting, 
or sorry, thousand dollars off the bill. We gave her two thousand dollars in free painting, which actually cost us less than a thousand dollars. But to her, it's like it's a way better value, right? Right. So she, you did more for her. Well, it's better for her and me. So it's a win-win. And so that's, but so when people think of negotiation, I always feel like they're trying to think of like, how much can I take for their individual? Whereas I'm trying to find what assets or whatever things they have that, that, and what do I have that what's, what do I have that's worth more to them and vice versa. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to royalty, I don't know. It'd be pretty tough. I mean, I think that there's certain like baseline royalties that maybe you can negotiate down over time, like based on your value, which totally makes sense to me. Like I don't, I don't know. I, I get. I get that. Like franchise brands would want to protect that because it's like it sets a bad precedent. But realistically, I do think that there should be a bulk deal discount to some degree. I get. I get that a lot of franchisees would never want to hear that, and most just leave it as a non-negotiable. It's like we just don't negotiate royalty. Mm-hmm. But at some point in time, I, I think that backfires on a lot of franchise brands because mm-hmm. I think it. I think what ends up happening is you can't keep superstars. Right. So, yeah. Like I wouldn't be around if my royalty was what student works is it's yeah yeah work. yeah like i just run my own painting business mm-hmm. but like because they have it so it's like pretty competitive and then if i was on my own i'm like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah 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 especially like uh tiered royalty systems like a lot of brands yeah. don't have tiered royalty systems i think that negotiating for a tiered uh, royalty system would also like benefit you like, yeah each year yeah because franchisee like what i mean the franchisor basically like is like yo like we don't want to necessarily pay have you pay a lower royalty because then you could you know we could make less money but it's like hey like i'll ch- i'll pay the same royalty but up up to a million dollars but then you know after a million you know can we both agree that it's probably more me than you right and then from there it's like you're not really taking money out of their pocket because their their, their game is usually not going to be building two million dollar franchisees it, it's probably adding more franchise locations so for them it's like it doesn't really cost them much if you you know pay a lower royalty after a million 100 percent. what i have no idea what friend you know because different franchises maybe have different policies but um yeah i don't know that's my thoughts mm-hmm. cool i like it and also like, fun- a, like a bit of a family like a family association with like student works too yeah like Corey, i mean dan's like you know like my stepfather that i just don't like and then Corey's like the father that i do like and then leanne's like the mom that just like everyone loves right so yeah it's, yeah and then jordan's like i don't even know like a cool brother or something like that i don't know yeah yeah amber do you find that uh, is there anyone in your program that is a franchisee of a uh probably not but yeah we have a uh, i actually have quite a lot of student works people Okay, cool. But I would say like Student Works, I guess is a, f- well, yeah, it's designed like a franchise. Yeah. Uh, no other Student franchises Works? though. Well, the in, sorry, not designed. That's not the right word. Um, the feeling, is, the, the experience is, is more, the same. I wouldn't say so. I, I wouldn't say so. Okay, sorry. No, I mean like in terms of like the community you're getting, the support you're getting, like it's it's present, right? Like it's even not like then, it's... man. I would say it's I would say it's it's like far superior than a franchise brand because it's actually like showing you exactly how to do everything. Like out thing. of all the people I know that are part of franchise brands and my experience in franchise brands and like again like friends of mine like Jordan that's been a part of franchise brands, I would say Student Works is doing something completely different. Yeah, I think it's you're, I think it's you're totally right. Like, I would say it's superior um, for what it is. Yeah. 
like I would say, it's, I mean, I wouldn't say that you're a business owner in student works. I wouldn't, I would I know that they push that. I wouldn't say you're a business owner. I, I really would say that it's like, I actually almost like that student works East says student works management program. Like I would say that's, mm. that's probably more accurate. Like student works West doesn't have that label, which I get that, you know, it's whatever. I mean, each to their own on their opinions on that, but but um, I do, I do view it more as like you're like an independent sales rep in a lot of ways, and you have to fulfill the whole the whole job. But yeah. I wouldn't say you're like a franchise owner by any stretch. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, you, I mean, you just aren't like you just don't own anything. No, I, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. So that that's why like that that's interesting that um that they're also Amherst clients, which is cool. Um, because it seems like Amherst, the more that I, I fall, I look in your group. There's uh, there's just more and more sense of community and camaraderie in there, right? So, it's awesome. And and uh, yeah, man, we got we got big plans for 2023. You know, Stoneworks has a Mexico trip. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be sick. That would be sick. Oh, you mean like your top uh, clients, dude? Across the U.S. and Canada, we pick a place, we all go fishing. Cheese. Cheese. <laughs> that could be the move, man. That could be the move. I'm just, I'm retreats learning about. Are, retreats are awesome. Yeah. I'm learning about like uh, behavior and how to get people to behave within a certain manner, which mm. is very important if you're a coach. So one thing that I'm like fucking slapping my forehead on is like. I know very little about behavioral science and there might be something in there for me to better understand why people do what they do. Mm. Uh, and so, for example, um, if I call you, Austin, there, I introduce a stimuli into your environment. Right, you see, you see yeah. your name, my name pop up on the phone. Yeah. Here's a question to both of you. What's the reason? And this is very dumbed down, okay? Like, this is very simple. But like, what's the reason that you'd either pick up or not pick up the phone call? If I'm free? Assuming I see it, you mean? Yeah, so you see it. See just... my name pop up on your phone. I'm calling. If I'm free, if I can talk. Yeah, basically for me, it'd be a time constraint. I mean, if I had uh, more than 15 minutes, I would answer it. If I had less than 15 minutes, I wouldn't answer it. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my initial reaction. What's the trade-off you're making mentally? I'm not sure. Wait, I don't even know what you mean by that, actually. It's like somewhat somewhat of a calculation that's happening through your head when you're making that decision. And here, Austin's very distracted and it's distracting me. No, I'm I, I am listening to you. I just have a, a wild cat in my office that Miranda's trying to get out, so okay. Yeah. Why just grab it? Yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm good now. Oh, okay, okay, Amber, can you get to the point, man? I feel like this is like <laughs> No, 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 no. Relax. Yeah. All I'm saying is, if if there's you're talking slow, like, is it just me or like? (laughs) So let me ask you guys a question. No, for real though. Like, dude, come on. I was just listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson, and that's how he talks. Yo, fair enough. I was gonna say the Joe Rogan. You you were speaking differently. That's all. Yeah. No. The Joe Rogan episode. I was just yeah yeah yeah. I was just listening to that. Um. Basically. 
if there's a stimuli within your environment, the way you react is is just a calculation that's happening in your brain on what what act usually the action you will take is the is the action that maximizes pleasure and minimizes pain. If every time I called you, you got more pleasure than pain from picking up the phone call, you will most likely pick up the phone call. Maybe in a really simplistic way, man. It, like, uh, yes, yes, that's why I said it's very simplistic. I, that's why I said. I know, but I, but I almost find that a lot of that stuff ends up being like economics, where it's like most of it's just so bogus. Okay, like sure, so? like if you isolate every well, if, sure in economics, if you isolate everything down, if you raise price, demand goes uh, goes down. But it's like not always though. Like, so it's like, because it's like, if those are the only two variables you're holding, it's like, fair enough. So that's why a lot of economics ends up just being completely bullshit. Okay, where does, where, to the real world. where does that fall? So let, let's, let's take that, the, the pain pleasure thing. I call yeah. you most of the time. Like, I don't know how you associate. No, but Amber, there is literally like 10 different variables I could introduce there. That like would what? just be. Like what? Well, literally the time variable alone, it has, has nothing yeah. to do with pleasure so, and pain. No, 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 it does. A hundred percent it does. Because if you pick up the phone and you don't have that much time, you have experienced in the past that taking those types of phone calls will cause more pain than pleasure. I mean, I guess if you if you really extend ple- what, what pleasure and what pain means, then I, I, I would agree with you. But I mean, yeah. I, I feel like you'd have to stretch that a little bit, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah, I agree, I agree. Yeah, you'd have, you'd have to stretch pleasure and pain i mean i guess if you get it like robert california everything comes down to pleasure and pain then maybe but like that's a yeah you'd have to like um yeah, yeah. but like I also i mean like for example i could also accidentally answer the phone that has nothing to do with pleasure or pain like you could have you might have called me right as i was swiping my phone and just coincidentally. no you know we're not I mean? counting like, i'm saying conscious decision making i'm talking about conscious actions not unconscious ones that would eliminate it yeah okay fair enough yeah like no accidentals yeah yeah. So why is this relevant? Because this, I don't know if I, it's even could be called a heuristic, but it, it kind of bounces off Charlie Munger's like incentives. It's all about incentives. Just follow the incentives. What, what do people want? What are the pleasures? So as a coach, I think there's like a responsibility on your end to build your interactions with your clients in a way where every time you interact with them in any medium, they are, you train their mind that there's more pleasure than pain with working with you. So I mean that that is awesome. Like I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. So that's, like, that's a discovery. Like I mean, influence people. Oh my god, dude. One. Yeah. Yeah. So like, our program is really good, and I think I can make it better by using that and going over all my videos in the beginning of the program in a way where every time they watch a video they actually get pleasure, a sense of accomplishment and progress. I think I can really introduce that. Amber, I 100% agree with you. I um, So I recently started taking, well, taking, but have you guys ever heard of it called, it's called The Great Courses or Great Courses? No. No. It's a website where basically, it's called greatcourses.com and they basically have uh, a bunch of different courses about really anything you want to learn about, all by PhD um, professors. And... Yeah. Like, so like I learned, like, you know, I, I took a course that's like, uh, this like PhD guy from Duke who was teaching about, uh, um, uh, financial crises and it was just, it was interesting, but I'll say this though, really fucking, uh, like fascinating topic, poor delivery. Like it was unpleasurable to listen to it yeah. to the point that I was you're, able you're... to get through most of it only because I was so fascinated by the content, but the delivery was so poor. Yeah. Whereas... I'm not even that interested in 
uh, like whether or not that guy bought a jet. But the Pepsi jet thing is such an entertaining delivery that it's like, you know, the injection like me, hey, John, method matters. Do you want to read a book about a guy who almost bought a jet from Pepsi or forced a guy to? Uh, I'm like, no, I probably would pass on it. But the moment you say, here's a Netflix uh, documentary, short short series, so I don't have to commit a lot of time to it. Yeah, like I said, I could watch it probably in one more afternoon. pleasure than pain in the past. If Correct. your brain yeah. kind of goes through that, I don't have to feel guilty about watching it for too long or feeling yeah, like yeah, I've yeah. like made some commitment. Ticks those boxes. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but it, but also like it's easier because it's watching is easier than reading, so it's like that's lower resistance. But it's also just like a really well done documentary as well. Like, like it's not yes. like they're doing it. Uh, there's cliffhangers, payoffs. There's there's good visuals, yeah. music. Like I remember, uh, I remember trying to watch a documentary on like the history of guns in America, and like I thought I was into guns until I tried watching that. It was just so <laughs> fucking boring. I'm like, the topic I actually could be probably presented really well, and I actually read a book by um, Chris Kyle, the American sniper. He has yeah, a book yeah. that tells the history of America through guns, and it's a great book. This documentary was impossible to listen to, so I agree with yeah. you, Hammer. Yeah, because. You know, I'm just like looking at like, you know, as, as we start to scale and I really think I can get somewhat of a monopoly in this industry if I if it's done correctly, because it's so amateur and, 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 and highly you know, unlikely. Um, um, then the word I think that I misused the word monopoly. I think I can be a leader for sure in the industry. Uh, the one thing I need to also start getting really good at and learning how to get good at is the injection method of the information. Amber, do you know what I th- was thinking about? So, well, look at what Focus Compounding does with their investors. They have a podcast that is effectively like free content that makes you want to be one of their investors. Oh, oh, dude, like, yeah, you're talking about organic marketing. Uh, that's something that we've thought about, and I think our method for for Trade Arc. Uh, no, 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 hold on, hold on, just bring that back though. Not even necessarily a podcast that's like for marketing purposes. I'm talking about one that's maybe an internal one where it's like just like a free flow conversation between you and Pat that's only for like new members like or you know not new members but members and like that might just drive up engagement because they're just like wow like these guys are you know like it's just it's just a form of entertainment that's you guys I don't oh know. dude we have over I mean we have over f- maybe 500 hours of Patrick and I coaching contractors so just uploading did, those of of well no no not not no no that's not what I me and what I said. me and Pat just having conversations. Personally, like you probably have a bit of a cult status within your group, like as in like you know you're the head honcho, like you're the guy who like knows what the fuck he's talking about. I just I feel like there'd be like a huge demand within your membership of people wanting to hear a conversation between you and Pat, like just the two of you. Oh, yeah. I'm that's saying like that's but I mean that would be highly pleasurable. Like I mean I would even listen to that. Like if you and Pat recorded a like if you phoned me up and was like yo and i answered which i probably wouldn't and then if you an- <laughs> but if you called me and was like yo i, I had a conversation i probably wouldn't. I recorded yeah, it either i'm just wondering do you want that recording i'd be like yeah i would actually i would actually want it i probably but what, to what would you want us to talk drive. about both trade arc and contracting i don't understand Dude, i don't even know that's what i'm saying if you told me you just had a conversation i don't even know if i'd ask what i think i would just listen to it uh that's i gotta run that by pat I'm not even saying pad. I'm just, my point being though, is it's like low friction. Like watch, sitting and watching a course feels different than listening to a podcast. So like, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, one of the things I liked about uh, 
David Goggins or Goggins uh, book so much was that you would have like a pretty dry. Like it was, I mean, it was an entertaining book, but you know, audiobooks are just I find them hard to listen to in general. But you would listen to a pretty dry reading of a chapter, and then you would have a podcast afterward discussing the the episode. Oh, the chapter. You know what I mean? So it increased the pleasure dramatically and it made you want to continue reading the book because it's like you were like, okay, yes, I'll eat my vegetables, but I, st- but I want my cake afterwards. Oh, do you think it would be valuable if I added in the program after each like video? Like let's say we talk about the importance of picking a niche. It's Patrick and I sitting down talking about I'm not about saying after each video. video. I'm just saying it would be interesting if you had those mixed in there. So that it was like, yo, here's your beer vegetables, here's your pleasure, here's your vegetables, here's your pleasure, right? So it's like you like kind of have a progression system to some degree. I don't know. Uh, so it's not just like you having to sit down and do a course and like battle through it. It's like, okay, I'll watch fucking two more videos, but then I get my, but then I get this pleasurable thing, you know? And that pleasurable thing to you would be me and me and Pat or just me. We'll put it something. this way: out of like out of all the audiobooks that I've ever listened to, David Goggins was probably the one I finished the fastest because I was most incentivized to continue reading it because it's like I wasn't I didn't want to listen to the the podcast episode in between chapters if I didn't listen to the chapter. So it's like I just battled through the chapters, fucking got to the podcast. I'm like this is awesome. Like even uh, one of my favorite audiobooks of all time, Ryan Holiday's uh, all of Ryan Holiday's uh, audiobooks from his original series was awesome because they all had a podcast at the end which by the way you could only get if you listened to the audiobook oh, it was not available anywhere else with tim ferris so i i I've, I've literally gone back and re-listened to that podcast at the end multiple times because it was just super pleasurable and they were talking about all the content of the book but it probably also helped it probably also helped me retain a lot of the ideas from a lot of his original books too damn I don't know, like, just, some, just, just an idea, because I just that find down, that, like, man. when something's a course content, I always find that there's some friction anyways. But the moment that someone's talking about the same content I just listened to, but it's free-flowing conversation, it's just easier to listen to. Hence why I think Joe Rogan does so well. It's just so easy to listen to him and talk to someone. It's just so easy. Versus an audio reading, you know what I mean? There's a massive difference between an audiobook and Joe Rogan. Right. Yeah, but is that so? Here's a question: Is the podcast free for the members of TradeArc, or is is it available for everybody? No, it's not available for everybody. It, this oh, is, okay. Think okay. of it less of a sorry. Think of it less as a podcast and just a reflection. It, no, just think of it more. As, no, no, just think of it more as a recorded conversation. Recorded conversation. I just I'm using yeah like I might like, when I think when you think of podcast for some reason you're thinking like you're broadcasting it to everyone in the world. That's not what okay. I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a, a private. A private fireside chat. Yeah, there you go. I just, I don't know, I just, I think it, it's it's a very pleasurable thing to listen to. Like, I mean, if you look at, like, what most people are consuming nowadays, it's it's free-flowing conversations. Dude, this it's is not so good, man. Yeah. It's so, I'm it's such saying, a good well, I don't know. Can you relate to that at all, Austin? Like, the po- like the, the books that I think the most of are the ones that had the podcast. I don't really listen to a lot of audiobooks anymore because I just find them so boring. They're just um, so hard to listen to. Yeah, the books that I... I'm I'm I kind of don't really connect podcasts and books that much. Like I I just only really read. Like I literally listen to you guys talk about the books that you've read, especially you, John. And I have a list on my computer of just books to read. And I then go when I'm when I'm reading a book and I'm done, I go purchase another one of these books. So you're probably looking for books way more than me because I have no. Sorry, I meant on uh, when I'm listening to an audio book. Yeah, being like a podcast with embedded in that book. Mm. 
Have you heard of that before or no? No, I haven't. Okay. But do you don't like audiobooks, do you? I've listened to a few. I like it when the author reads them for sure. I can't get into some of them though, I'll be honest. They're difficult, right? Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of people realized it's a really hard medium. It just is. Yeah, like yeah. Like if you're driving and listening to the audio of a book, it's uh it's fucking difficult. Yeah, like you feel like you're kind of just getting like fifty. Dude, I zone out all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's super difficult. Um whereas the moment you uh the moment you listen to a podcast, I, I find myself so engaged. I can't, I can't think of anything else but the podcast. Yeah, I agree. Like, sometimes, like the amount of times that I'm like reading it, like I'm listening to an audiobook, driving, and then like I'm like, what the fuck did they just say? Like, whereas that barely ever, barely ever happens when I'm listening to a podcast. Like, I'll just be engaged in the podcast. Yeah. 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 Mm. So it's just more effective. Very good. Yeah. But that's what discovery I had about like kind of pleasure and pain and reactions and no, the I basics like it, of behavior. And it's just making me rethink the entire program. And um, the I got this idea from like my coach from uh, Cole Gordon, and uh, yeah, he gave the the example of Duolingo. Mm-hmm. Duolingo is by far one of the best apps at incentivizing you by like pleasure wise to learn a language. The app, the way it's designed, the sounds, the visuals, the the scoring system, the the daily streaks, yeah. your levels, yeah. your stickers, your friends that you can compare yourself to. It ticks every box in terms of pleasure. And you know, as soon as like there's a platform that's built like that for courses, you know, we, we, we might host there. But uh, I think the injection method is extremely important and uh yeah, like we're we're preparing kind of a, a version two for 2023. So these are things that we're, like, we're starting to really question and think about. Um, so yeah, that's, I don't know how we entered that tangent, but yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to learn a bit about behavior and I want to be better at it. Uh, Amber, you could also um, potentially, because what you're doing is you're basically educating these people. Right, like that's what you're that's what you're doing. Oh, of course, yeah, them. obviously, yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're teaching them how to run more effective businesses, and so you're teaching a curriculum, right? Like, yes, um, and so you're looking into. Uh, have you what kind of have you looked into any sort of um, pedagogical, like, I mean, what I'm doing for the last what I've been doing for the last two years is basically how to teach people, right? How to like effectively teach people. Now, granted, they're, te- they're it's teaching us how to teach teenagers, so a bit of a different than how to teach adults. But there's probably some transferable stuff within there. Might be something uh, for you to look into as well. If it's uh, if you're saying like, how can I just effectively get uh, retention of, of what I'm teaching to the, uh, the people that I'm teaching it to? Wait, okay, I, I didn't understand the uh, the action. What what action are you recommending? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I just, re- sorry, I was recommending to just like uh, look into uh, pedagogy, like as a field of study, and like how to effectively teach people and get them to retain like retain information and like uh, that kind of stuff so it's what I'm it's what we're teaching like I guess you how to teach curriculum effectively how to how to map it I mean you've, you've already done this you've how mapped you out your it? course and you curriculum or or pedagogy no. pedagogy p-e-d-a-g-o-g-y pedagogy so you said how to teach uh, curriculum was the other thing you said? So you have a curriculum and like yes. you can you can map it out. So you've mapped out. It's mapped. Ha- it is exactly. You've already got that. So that's great. It's been mapped. Right? It's been mapped. But <laughs> um, there's also like the 
notion of like different forms of assessment. So first you assess for learning. So you sort of, uh, it's an assessment of like for them to actually learn. So you do some sort of assessment and that can be like a check-in or a, 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 almost like a quiz, but just to see what their knowledge is, their pre-existing knowledge is going into the course. Cause you want them to like, you want to know sort of what, how much knowledge do they have going into this. Then after that, there's an assessment as learning. So then it's like, do you have, where are you getting this from? Cause I, this I can't take all, notes fast. This is, this is all from like my curriculum and assessment courses that I've been taking in, in, in university. Um, so I can uh, oh, send shit. you some stuff. Um, oh dude, send me everything. Okay. Send cool. me everything, please and thank you. Emmer's gonna become like a licensed teacher, but just to become a better consultant. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? There's a KPI that's measured in the industry that actually Alex Hermosi used in his previous businesses before he sold it, Gym Launch, called a CES, Customer Effort Score, which is how much effort the customer has to put to get an achieved outcome within the program. Hmm. And you'd want to decrease that score as much as possible so that you can ideally in a perfect world it's like here take this pill and starting tomorrow you'll start taking every action necessary to build a million dollar business that you can step away from mm -hmm. that is like the the echelon because it's low effort minimal time except for that people don't take their medication so that's actually not good no you'll just be like here i just you just paid x amount take this pill that's all you got to do just swallow this pill nah it wouldn't work <laughs> but it wouldn't i'm just yeah like the stats show people he's saying like he's saying like one pill like here one pill eat once. this sour patch kid oh like one single pill yes one just one pill or mm -hmm. hey I eat this one eat this one donut drink this one beer and you're good or drink like the knowledge beer. is in there yeah yeah i get i get it i get it it's the injection method so yeah pedag whatever pedagogy pedagogy yeah i'll send you some more stuff and like you know getting okay. them to do um like reflections on like on the module that they've just done like getting them to like part of the module is that they write a you know or they can audio record their reflections after having taken this module what are the, what's their first takeaway what's the what what, what questions do they have and then that recording gets sent to you so then you can have that for your next call with them and you're like hey i noticed that your first initial re reflection after the sales one was i'm not sure about this or i'm really excited about this so then then you get all this data that you can then use uh to personalize your coaching calls with them because what you have is honestly I wish I could have that level of personalized coaching. I mean, I call it teaching with my students. I have 28 students in one class and I have 26 in another. And I have I have 75 minutes with them a day, but I have to teach them all. So like, mm -hmm. I, but some are such vast differences in ability that like some of the kids are crushing it and I have to make sure they don't get bored. And then for the other kids that are like really struggling, I have to make sure that they sort of keep up, right? And they all have varying abilities of writing, reading, speaking, all this kind of stuff. But these sort of activities can help me to target, okay, I know that, you know, Ali struggles with this. And so when I'm doing this lesson, I'm going to tailor it a little bit for him in particular so that it can, he can be, it could scaffold him and help him to get to where he needs to be, you know? Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. No worries. Hmm. Yeah. So kind of one of the advantages of this business, so many skills to develop. Pretty fun. Um, yeah, you guys want to hear something funny that happened this week? So James was supposed to present at StudentWorks in front of like 250 people. Uh, but the night before, he drank one-year-old expired uh, protein powder. <laughs> huh. 
So the guy was out for the count. Wait, the whole mean? the whole day. Hmm? One year old expired protein powder. Not good. Not good. Forty Damn. minutes before the meeting starts, I get a text. James is like, "Hey, you want to take my spot?" I texted him earlier, and I'm like, "Hey, man, if you need anything, let me know. I can grab you a cup of water." He's like, "Hey, do you want to take my spot to present?" And I said yes. And in 40 minutes, I was in like the most pure flow state that I've been in in months where I had to figure out what the hell I'm talking about and then put together a presentation. And I did it. That's and it awesome. went really well. So Yeah, I heard was... Uh, I was talking to a couple of people and they said they really liked it. Oh, really? Oh, what, yeah. you, what was the context of that? Um, well, one of the... Uh, uh, the operator who is in my student works operator who's in my my area for like that I run mm-hmm. my business in, mm-hmm. um, he's been marketing and selling for me during his oh, off nice. season because he's not in school. Um, his name's Justin, mm-hmm. great guy. Shout out to Justin. He listens to the podcast. Um, an absolute pleasure to work with, and he was at the orientation. And you, he said that he appreciated the part where you spoke about um, really utilizing people within your network to fulfill or to kind of fill in your blind spots and also some of your weaker points to leverage them. That's one of the better parts about being a part of a community. Um, and yeah. a really great point to mention to someone who's at that stage, right? Like the orientation is all the new new operators coming into the business. So yeah. Um, to them asking for help could have like some sometimes for people it's like a negative connotation you know it's like i'm weak i need help and no, i'm fine but no i think it's like the people that ask for help just do more do better you know yeah yeah um uh-huh. and then and, and that was one thing that i talked to justin about because that was kind of his natural state too is like no i got it covered and also you know it's interesting working with someone who already runs their own business but is now working with you in your business right yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. my relationship with him um, because like the way he does things in his business is like way more autonomous, right? Cause he's the leader. Yeah. And now he's learning a new, a new trade, how to sell differently. Um, and also how to lean on people for help. Yeah. Right? So naturally that's just not what he's doing in his business. So he was like, dude, when I listened to Amher saying that I got so like present to the, how much I had been missing, you know, <laughs> and we had a great conversation about it. And I think that, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how his week goes. Uh, yeah. The next couple of weeks goes before Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I remember I, I called Pat. I'm like, who's my audience? Rookies. What's the objective of this speech? To get them excited for the next year and getting them more sold on StudentWorks. Got it. Key points I should touch on. Network. Done. So then I opened up all my slides in my program, my marketing materials, my Q&A calls. And he started grabbing and just like mm. assembling. And in 40 minutes, I put together a 30-minute speech with 80 slides. And it went pretty good. So Yo, was like, 80 slides in 40 minutes is pretty kick-ass. That's nuts. Dude, it, it, was, it was. I was in pure flow. But you probably pulled amazing. slides from your, from your course, though, right? No, no, no. You missed that part. Yeah. That, I, like oh, okay. I, it was, oh, it was cool. all the slides I've ever built in my life. Got and then got I just started grabbing. And then I added some stuff. Um. And uh, 
yeah, feel school. I was really proud of myself. You know, I was just like, damn, yeah, I like, like it, it just felt really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically what I presented about is um, uh, the importance of the skills. Yeah. And that ultimately how you are paid is based on your fair market value in the marketplace, specifically in capitalistic society. Right. So if you want to get paid more, just be more valuable. And to right. be more valuable, you need to have a lot of skills. Yeah. So here's Makes Student sense. Works, where it's a playground on who can get the most skills. Here's what losing looks like. Losing is running an 80K business with one employee and that you are painting 60 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Sure, you get the trip to Mexico, but it's like, I, that's a, that's still a loss. Mm-hmm. A win is you doing 80K with like maybe zero profits, but you just learned how to sell, market, hire, and you made all those mistakes. So next year, you can run mm-hmm. a 300K business at 30%. That's more that of a win because you're actually like building the skills. Yeah. Um, and then I just cited Jamie Dimon and and like I just threw in a bunch of, yeah. Anyways, I just used what I learned from Toastmasters to make the speech really good. And cool. yeah, I, think it did, I think it went well. So I want to share that with you guys. Um, that is really cool that you filled in last minute. It's kind of funny. It's hilarious. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, I, I know that you filled in because someone had backed out but i didn't know it was james that's funny it's like your roommate <laughs> you do is it? yeah yeah it's a sick house man it's a sick house yeah, and yeah most roommates ask you to grab you like you know the groceries or the mail <laughs> it's like yo can you grab the speech in front of 250 people yeah can you, you just fill it I in quick you. i got yeah. you yeah no worries dude yeah that's <laughs> true eh? imagine asking your roommate in any <laughs> other case if that's okay <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool yeah yeah oh that's um, funny oh poor james man is he okay Feeling better? Yeah, 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 yeah. It really fucked them up, though. I wonder what good. that would feel like, because, like, I wouldn't think that protein powder would be that bad if it was expired. Like, you know, it's just, it's not That's like it's a, it's not like it's like a, like a live, like, like expired meat or something, you know? I don't know, man. It just, he, yeah. Yeah. But he's yeah. all right now. <laughs> um, Yeah, yo, John, welcome back to Kelowna. Yeah, how was your flight back? The flight? It sucks. What are you? <laughs> 14 hours man it's terrible 14 hours uh, on one plane in the air yeah dude yeah, that's dude. actually fucked up. yeah it really, it really sucks. you must I feel like you must be like eight hours into it and you're like either. you're eight so, hours into it you're like oh my god i have another six hours like damn yeah, yeah i, I mean i didn't that. i i mean it, i mean like it sucks but like it, it sucks because it's just such a marathon um but like i enjoyed the fact that like i was able to get like a lot of reading in some people like, must have like panic in. attacks eventually on the plane or something you know like, um, maybe. Or, like they, no, they get like so antsy i mean i started getting that way i started getting to the point where like i couldn't sit still because i was like man like like i just i don't know i just couldn't couldn't sit still and i was just not having a good time near the end but i mean i really just i just read <laughs> trish is like i love you sweetie we had such a nice trip john's like don't touch me don't get me well, no i wasn't i wasn't like in a bad mood or anything like that, but, <laughs> um, i just read basically the whole time and then you you watch movies too they just they pass time really well yeah yeah you can only read for so long before it's like it's just you're just your brain's just mush yeah yeah what movies did you watch um it's funny on the way to <laughs> dude on the way to new zealand big short it's also 14 i watched the big short twice back to back oh my god like i literally ended it and then restarted it and watched it again. that's how good that movie is 
That was awesome. But no, on the way back, we uh, I think we only just watched the one movie on the way back. Otherwise, it was just a weed fast. I think I watched, we watched uh, The Grinch Stole Christmas, but like the animated one. Oh, that's the best one. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And what books did you read? Which book? Yeah, what books or books? Uh, I, I've been reading the same book. It's kind of a bit of a monster book. It's uh, Sandy. It's about Sandy Wheel. It's a. Um, it's called Tearing Down the Walls. It's a book mm. about this guy named Sandy Wheel, who's an American banker, kind of entrepreneur kind of guy. And uh, he started off working at uh, uh, Baron Stearns just as like a like a, a runner. So he would literally just like take, like when they used to have the stock exchange on paper. Yeah. He used to just run paper and he, he ended up building up to the point where he had like, I think one of the top five largest banks in the world. Um, that's insane. That's, yeah. Um, like, he was is it an autobiography or is it a, is it like a book no, that he wrote? No, no, it's a biography. Oh, okay. Um, so it's written about him. He does have one that he read himself, writ, wrote himself called, um, I forget the name now. something, something, uh, the last deal or something like that what's this say, man's name again sandy wheel um but sandy like s-a-n-d-y and then wheel is it's almost like vile it's like w-e-i-l-l it's an interesting book i mean i i think you'd have to be like he's not the thing is is it's it's the rise and fall because interesting enough there was a huge fall from grace as well and you can see why along the way he had a fall but the reason why i was interested in him is because i was reading about a guy named jamie diamond who's the CEO of JP Morgan. And of course I'm interested in that because I, I, my last name's Morgan. So I just have a bias towards the Morgan family, but uh, JP Morgan, I, I, that's, he's Ron Chernow has one of the best biographies on, on the house of, it's called the house of Morgan. And actually I, there's certain books that I have that face out on my bookshelf and it's the one that faces me mm-hmm. um, all the time. So I always look at it, but either way, I was reading about Jamie Dimon and he went on to be like, he's like, I think he's like number like top 10 most powerful people in the world, according to Forbes. Like he's, he's the CEO of the largest bank in the world, JP Morgan. It's just makes, it's makes 35 mil a year. Probably way more than that. That's probably that's his salary. salary. That's his salary. Yeah. No, I mean, I bet in, I mean, I bet in stock options and, and, you know, dividends and things like that. I mean, I don't know how many, I think he's probably worth like 1.5 or 1.8 billion, which for a, an executive 1.6 billion. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Tim Cook might be the only other CEO that's richer that wasn't a founder. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. I, I can't think of anyone else that would be a non-founding CEO that would be richer. Maybe, probably Tim Cook. Who's the Disney guy? Charming guy? No, no, I don't. I don't think uh, you mean Rob Iger, or yeah. uh, sorry, uh, Dan Bob. or Bob Iger. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I don't even know if that guy's a billionaire. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. But he's also not, he wasn't, he definitely wasn't at the time. I mean, if he got rich after the fact, then that's one thing, like off the stock. But, but as far as like current, you know, CEOs that were the richest of all time, anyway, I'm getting off track. Um, uh, Sandy and Jamie were like father and son, uh, like at, at Sandy's low point in his career, Jamie was just like getting a start and they built up to the point where they basically like were getting the pinnacle where they merged with. Citibank, which at the or city, yeah, it's called Citibank, which was like the biggest merger. I think at the time it was the biggest merger in human history, um, as far as dollar amount goes. And um, 
at that point there was a huge split in their relationship and so i i'd heard about that through reading about jamie diamond and then i wanted to hear about this guy named sandy but it's interesting because the book about sandy is about the rise and fall so it's he got like he's he's not he's nothing like he used to be um why do you fall like if you go look at the stock if you go look at the stock chart i don't know if you want to pull it up i don't screen share if you look at the stock chart of uh city group it's pretty fucking crazy really like the, the, the like the rise and fall of that company um like oh, Sandy! So Sandy things. owns Citigroup. He, well, he's not. He doesn't own. He, he's 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 an executive. I don't think he's the CEO there anymore. Like not he's a founder like, there. No, no, he's not a founder. No, no, no. He merged with it. Sandy never actually started his own business. He's only ever bought other businesses. Where he was like a which one of the biggest lessons I learned was that you can force deals through, but it's just way harder. It's just way harder to uh, have stability um, when you're just forcing acquisitions. How do you force an acquisition? Well, Sandy like had a huge ego. So he was always trying to like, he was, he like price was not the most important thing for him. Like it was all about the ego of like building his empire. So he was less concerned about um, like in a lot of ways he was building, he was trying to build shareholder value, but, but he was using shareholder money. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, like why was Warren Buffett so much more frugal? Cause I think he had just had way more, like just way more in the line. Like he had just way more skin in the game with Berkshire Hathaway. I don't know. Um, but he's nothing like Warren Buffett in that sense. Like his acquisitions were not necessarily, they were mostly timely. Like he tried buying when people needed to sell versus when they wanted to sell. I'm like, that's a good lesson to learn. But he was willing to pay too high of a price. And it, and, it, and that's ultimately what ended up being his huge downfall. Just paying too much? Yeah, like can you pull, can you screen share? Like pull up the, uh, okay. pull up the stock chart of uh, Citigroup. It's pretty fascinating actually. Citigroup stock. Okay, here it is. Damn. All right. Oh my God. Dude. <laughs> so for you guys listening, it's yeah. just like a uh, bulge. It, it, it goes from, thir- from $33 to $550. Take in mind, there's probably tons of spot, uh, stock splits in there too. Yeah. Wow. But you can see that basically like he was way too leveraged going into the financial crisis and basically almost lost it all. Like he almost, they almost went bankrupt. Like they almost lost it all. The stock went down 90. Probably more than 95%. Percent between 2007 and 2009. Yeah. So, I mean, basically almost lost it all. Yeah. And it hasn't recovered by any stretch. Hmm. So wow. it, I don't know. It's just it, it's an interesting story. It, it, it's 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 one part success story and one part cautionary, cautionary tale. tale. Yeah. Whereas whereas the exact exact same time, Jamie Dimon was uh, offloading a lot of the risks that he saw within the within the. Uh, Damn, Jamie Dimon, CEO since two thousand and six. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's it's actually fascinating how Jamie Dimon, like he's he's that's why they call him like the king of bankers, right? Because he's like, I mean, if you look at that, the, the two, I mean, you you can see it in the two stock charts, right? Who who was deep, who was taking less risks, right? Wow, yeah, pretty interesting, right? Have you does he have any books about him, Jamie? Yeah, he has this one called um, Last Man Standing, I want to say, which hmm. is pretty fitting. It's written about him. I don't, there's probably a lot of books about him. There's probably one book. I think there's another book called The House of Diamond. I haven't read that much about him other than just the one book. Yeah. But I've just mm-hmm. been like endlessly reading books about banks. 
What an interesting time to start working uh, 2005, right, in that industry, in his position. Yeah, so Tim Cook's probably the number, like, the richest executive. Only by 0.2 billion, though, in those numbers is, like, I guess it's obviously quite significant, but it's... um... Hmm. Oh, CEO of Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. That guy was probably number one, yeah. Um... Oh, there you go. Wow, I mean, Elon Musk hardly counts. No, 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 no. I, I this, see is, that this is it. This is it. This is it. Oh, oh, there you go. Sundar from uh, Google. I don't think that's accurate. How? One point three. Yeah, no, it's not accurate. I mean, maybe at one point it was. Yeah, yeah. That's I cool. guess Google is down a lot. So, hmm. yeah, very interesting. But I, um, but I've been like, I, I don't know. I've been taking a, like a pretty big interest in banks, and I just been wanting, I've been like wanting to try and understand that that industry, and so like I'm trying to understand like the big players that have like you know made fortunes or lost fortunes, kind of is my starting point. Nice, nice. Other than the plane, how was your week? Good week. Um, I mean, I spent most of it in, obviously in New Zealand or traveling, but. Uh, New Zealand was a, it was a great time. Um, you know, really liked it. I think that the, um, the thing that I liked most about the trip was that we got to learn a lot about what we do, what, what, what we would do differently going forward. Like as far as, um, things that we would like one of the biggest, one of the things that we, uh, decided was that we, we don't really like Airbnbs that much. Like as far as like the value proposition is concerned, like we don't, we're not necessarily like, we don't see ourselves as like, like, like <laughs> ideal customer <laughs> uh, what no i'm just imagining you in an airbnb doing the chores repainting the house laying tiles because <laughs> you know how the host asks you to do things it's just like trying to like, yeah, yeah so I, when, just, when, I, just, I just i actually have a funny position. story about that yeah. yeah uh when i went to uh czech republic um in t- 2019 <laughs> we had an airbnb that we uh like this was to go to that hockey tournament, right? The world juniors. And, um, my buddies and I were six guys and we're going into this apartment. And, uh, as we're landing in Czech Republic, we're landing in, um, actually we came into Prague and then we took a train to Ostrava, which is where we were on the train ride. We're, um, we're getting texts from the Airbnb host being like, Hey, um, I know your check-in was at uh, 3 p.m. today. Would you be okay checking in at 9 p.m.? And we're like, uh, no. Oh, you told us this. Yeah. We're like, no, actually, we we wouldn't no, I, like I that. This. And then, uh, and she's like, okay, well, uh, how about, can you do five? And we're like, sure, whatever. So we land, or we uh, we, we get out of the train, we go have dinner, and then we go to the, uh, the Airbnb. It's like, we gave her an extra hour. It's like 6 p.m. And then we were lugging up all our bags to this Airbnb and we walk in and she's literally, <laughs> she's like, <laughs> she's, got, she's got like probably like 30 bags from the, um, from like the, like a furniture store or like a, like a kitchen hardware store. And she's like throwing pots and plates into the cabinets and she's like half, there's like a half built couch a table in a box no. dude i'm not kidding <laughs> and she doesn't speak finished? dude she doesn't speak a lick of english like people in 
people in Eastern Europe actually don't speak English. Like it's not like, sorry, some of them do, but um, did you like help her like build the couch? Yeah. We just like crushed out building the furniture with her. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. It's jokes. And then she was like super embarrassed. This is my point though. This is my, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's like also, also I've stayed in many Airbnbs never had that, but it was just funny because it was like, no, but, but it goes to my point though. It's not even so much the service that that, that I'm starting to get sick and tired of with Airbnbs. I just, I, I don't know. Like I get that. Like, uh, like at one point in time, like, I feel like there was like a, a part where it was like they were cheaper or you were getting more. Yeah, now they're not that much them. cheaper. I would say that hotels are much cheaper. Yeah. Yeah, I would say hotels are much cheaper. But we um, we just, I don't know, we just find that uh, like we find that our like what we like to do ends up being a lot in the city or like in and around the city. So it's just like as far as the location goes, it's just it's it's a way less of a hassle. You know, if you're in a hotel, you always have a gym because um, we were having to do like drop ins a lot. Right for gyms so it's just nice if you always have like a pool you can go home to or have a hot tub and have a gym and just always have your room clean like from from you know made like so that was one big that was one big change that we definitely like realized was like okay like we definitely prefer hotels in general um but then also one thing we really get pretty clear on right away was that we didn't really want to take a vacation per se and i think this would change a lot about how long we go on our next trip which is that like vacationing is one thing, but we like to like see the country that we're in and but like live there as if we're like we're living at home. So like still getting up in the morning, doing our reading, you know, doing our gym, you know, like, you know, so I mean, like maybe the amount of work that you do might be a little bit less. But um, but as far as like your day to day activities go, like I like when I'm traveling, not necessarily vacationing, which is a bit of a difference. So, yeah, yeah. I made that same discovery like when I went to James's cottage and I was just like, I just want to have my regular day in a different location. Mm-hmm. yeah like i i'm willing to pay to change my scenery for a month you know just to kind of maybe get like a different lens on the world or just you know like but i still want to go for walks i still want to go for hikes i still want to you know read i still want to go to the gym work out, and it's like yeah. fine like if those if, if the activities i'm doing are just different scenery that's okay but i don't necessarily want to just like not that we did this at all but i don't want to like vacation and like escape or unwind in some like weird way like i actually like my life and it's like if i'm willing to transport my life elsewhere that's one thing but i don't want to like for like just like get rid of all my routines and habits that i have at home which is funny because um gabe you're gonna have to come in here with some english but isn't vacation comes from vacate and vacate comes from evacuate which is like to get rid of isn't that kind of the string um I'll be honest, I'm not totally sure of that, but I'm just going to look up the etymology of vacation real quick, and we'll see kind of what uh, what comes up here. Um, so we've got uh, Latin, yeah, so Latin vaca- uh, vacare, vacare, to be unoccupied. So that's... that's oh, that. vacant, yeah. Yeah, that's vacation, which basically went to Latin vacatio, English vacates, kind of old French all came in. So it was a late Middle English adaptation to get to vacation. But yes, to be unoccupied. Unoccupied. Okay, so, so it's not, it's not go, similar right? to so, evacuate. Yeah, it's almost like okay. it's yeah, but it's almost like unoccupying your life, for like which I don't know. I don't want to yeah. do. Yeah, no, but so but that was a big realization. That we're like, well, you know, like at that point, then I mean, for her, she was there for a month. I was there for two weeks. And it's like, yeah, I had a good time, um, but like I just as easily could have been there longer. Um, so I think next time I, I go on a trip with Trisha, I think I'd be more inclined to do like a like a one or two month trip, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and like really like get to know the place you know yeah hmm yeah yeah that's what i liked about going to texas it was just like a solid month we were living there had our routines we had gym memberships 
Our I food think was, was done for an entire month. One whole month last November. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that now. It was for only four calls for you guys, so. I remember it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm more inclined. And it's kind of exciting because I um, I mean, one of the coolest parts of the trip for me was like being away from my businesses, but not necessarily having to, Stop like there was working. no consequence to it. You, you know, like, oh, like yeah, I wasn't, yeah. yeah, I wasn't needed uh, like in person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the next challenge would be like seeing if you can do that in July. Yeah. Well, no, July would be the easiest time to do it. Um, or your hardest, business, whatever. Would, yeah, the hardest sales. would be January to April. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And realistically, I mean, the only reason why I can't do that this year is is not because of like. Um, you could, like, honestly, I, yeah, I definitely could. It, it yeah. would just be a matter of like I, we probably wouldn't hit our goal then. Yeah, yeah. Just because I, mean, I, but also I, I mean, it would be inappropriate in the sense that like it. Um, like obviously like Brady still requires more training and, and there's just, there's a lot of stuff going on, but that'd be the, that like the ultimate challenge would be to do it there and there. But I also don't know if I would ever want to, like I actually fucking love my preseason. Like, I don't know if I would like want to give that up anytime soon. Um, yeah, I don't think I'd want to give that up. Like there's a certain aspect of just getting out and knocking on doors and the fucking just miserable cold weather and weather in January, you know, that grind of just trying to get sales. Like I don't like, there's no part of me that wants to give that up. Um, like, even, like, giving up quotes to Brady is kind of, like, a love-hate relationship. Like, I get that it's a natural progression, and like, but, um, like, I didn't like painting. So, like, it was easy for me to hire that out. I didn't like uh, production. It's easy for me to hire me that out, hire that out. Um, sales. Yeah, sales I fucking like, you know? And, uh, like, door knocking even was a love-hate relationship. Like, I actually loved it for a long time, like, to the point where I probably could have hired it out a lot sooner. And then I... I dis I I don't dislike uh, door knocking now, but I, I definitely like it a lot less than I used to. Like I used to like really look forward to it. Now I look forward to it in batches. Like I like to go out and kind of like stretch the legs a little bit and kind of show the boys what's up as far as like yo, daddy still got it kind of thing. But is <laughs> the legs, <laughs> but, uh, but as far as uh, but as far as doing it like like you know five days a week, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. Like that's I I would just much rather hire more people and just like read more or something like that, right? And then with Brady, like him doing quotes versus me, like there's, there is a, there is a bit of a unfuck yourself moment where it's like every time he does a quote and he doesn't book it, I'm like, ah, oh, I bet I would have got that one. You know? Can I ask you a question about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfuck okay. yourself. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Okay. So the, the, the main thing, it's like, you could have landed the job that he didn't. Is that the main thing? If he had the same closing rate as you, would you actually miss it? Miss it? Oh, Amra, I already acknowledged that I, I, it's an irrational thought. I, it's not actually oh. like a... Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm just saying when he, like, well, like if, like... Because, I mean, I go and do Hardy Plank quotes that I don't book. But anytime he does a Hardy Plank quote and he doesn't book it, I'm like, ooh. Ooh. Oh, like, you gotta be careful that of that, yeah. 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 Oh, no, no. I'm Man, I believe me, this is not, like, an actual serious problem by any stretch. Oh, yeah. okay, good. Yeah. Okay, cool. cool. Well, because he records all his initial calls. And so if he doesn't book something, I just listen to the initial call and see if it wasn't set up properly. And as long as it was set up properly, then I'm just like, hey, it's all good then, you know? Can I share with you what I've discovered about initial calls to make them highly, highly successful? Um... Is it anything different than what I already currently know? What do you know? What you've taught me. <laughs> so that's I'm just I, I I I like I would I would hate to waste your time for you to re-explain initial calls to me. Like what me and Austin did it like a couple of years ago, and all the conversations we've had since. 
Oh. Well, I made a new discovery, and I was just like, I'll just What's share. What's the new discovery? Okay, okay. Yeah, it's just like speed to lead. Just calling as fast as possible. Set up the eight, like the eight-point call. Um, yeah. Big reasons. Oh, yeah, we did talk about this. Big reasons why. And then giving the uh, customer some homework to look at before the appointment. Yeah, so StudentWorks already does all those right away. So your expectation cool. is you have to call all same, all leads same day. That's always cool, been cool, an expectation. Cool. I mean, out west, that's always been the expectation. Um, we send a pre-estimate email which has uh, your client manual and, and a YSWP thing embedded in it. Cool, cool, So that cool, it, cool. it gives them homework to look at before Amazing. the call. Amazing. And then, um, and then uh, giving a big why. We've, we talked about this, which we already yeah, do because yeah. the first question we say is, what you want to get painted. Hey, awesome. Just out of curiosity, like, uh, Amara, you, you know, you said you want to get your signing painted. How come you want to get it painted? Oh, you know, it's been a couple you know. of years. Yeah. Exactly, right? So you, you want to dive into the why, right? And we've cool, talked cool, about cool. that. Yeah. Awesome, yeah. dude. So yeah, good. I've, I've actually talked to Brady that, about that a lot. And I actually, t- you know, I actually tell clients this too. I'm actually open about this. Like I, I went in, uh, I was doing a garage quote, uh, like like interior of a garage. And I said to him, hey, I said, I said so when I sat down, I said, uh, hey, you know, uh, Jeff, this is actually my least favorite quote to present. And he's like, really? What? what? Like, why is that? I'm like, because garages, to, to like, from, what, from my experience, garages have the lowest perceived value from clients, but it's not cheap. And the reason why is because it's actually a fairly large space. Like, if I told you it was X amount to do your living room and the same amount to do your garage, you'd place a lower value in the garage. Yet, no one has a problem booking their living room for the same price. So, just so you know, that's... You know, just a heads up on that. So then I go through the quote. And, like, wow. I normally, Dude, but, that's actually so I go, power. I go through the quote like I normally do and I don't ever mention anything about it again. But I just prime people, right? Or even like um, like, when I'm, like when I'm doing a quote, for example, to um, maybe change the color of the house. I'll be like, hey, you know what? I'll be honest, like the the siding, uh, I'm, I'm a logical analytical guy. So I don't have as much feeling towards like the house has to be a different color. So like I'm more inclined to try and sell you on the same color one coat because it's going to save you money. And the trim definitely needs to do it but I'd be more than happy to give you the price to do the, the siding change. And then from there, when I, cause I'm just being authentic, right? And then when I go to close them, like, hey, look at like, here's what I really see value in. And I think this is what you need to do, which is maintain the uh, integrity of your siding by doing one coat, same color and taking care of your trim, one coat, same color. And here's what it costs to change the color. Like, so what do you, you know, what do you think? Like, can we take care of the logical stuff today? Or do you want to actually go like full board and change the color of the house? And then the person will be like, yeah, fuck it. You know what? I actually, I, I don't see value in changing the color either. That's a lot more money. Some people say, you know what? Trim, keep it the same color. I actually really see value in changing the color of the siding. I really hate it. I'm like, sounds good. Awesome. But I always, I'm always upfront about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're like building the credibility of your motives. Well, I also tell people too, like, I mean, I, I'm always asking questions when I'm doing the walkthrough of like, Hey, like, what are we looking for here? Like, you know, cause people are like, Oh, like, I'm like, is the, is the trim the same color or changing? And they're like, they're like, I don't know. I'm decided. I'm like, well, depends why you want to get it done. They're like, well, I don't know. It's just peeling. I'm like, well, like, like, do you hate the color now? They're like, no. I'm like, sweet. Like, if you want, I could save you a lot of money by doing one coat, same color. Mm-hmm. So we scrape it down, sand it, spot prime with the, with the product itself. And then, um, and then just do one coat, one, one coat, same color. Right. So. Here's a little soundbite for you about sales and selling. Certainty sells. So John's pretty certain and that sells. Mm. Yeah, about, like, well, I told approach. that about, I've been telling that to Brady too, about how you have to have conviction when you're selling. Oh yeah, certainly. Like you you can't make it seem like you're questioning it. Like, cause I remember um, we were presenting a quote and he's like, cause the client was like unsure about which color to pick. I said, no, like this is the color. Like we'll have Jocelyn out here. Like we'll test this. Like I'm very confident. We'll, we'll, we'll get a color for you. And he's like, he's like, wow. He's like, you just seem so confident in that color. I said, yeah, but I'm actually not confident in that color. I'm just confident in our ability to pick the right color, like to pick a color for her and find one. 
but like she's hesitant like like if, if we were like oh yeah picking colors difficult man it's gonna be fucking it's hard like you're done she's not gonna book with you but because she's like wow that's, i might have to like think about this because right you have to give them the conviction of like no we will figure out the color like we will take care of that yeah you have to be a figure of authority yeah sharp yeah, yeah, as yeah. attack you know that's yeah. uh, the three yeah things. yeah exactly right so no Her authority yeah. sharp as attack trust and trust uh what was the other one uh i was gonna ask you uh, austin how uh, and i don't know if there's a big difference between dollar amount or percentage of your contracts but what percentage of your contracts or percentage of your revenue is uh financed versus um like paid for upfront with clients can i guess yeah hold on Amber. write it down and press enter at the same time because i don't want to be influenced by your answer okay okay hold on hold on, hold on. Okay, so this, th- what, what are we, the number that is financed or unfinanced? Is. Is, is. financed? Okay, okay. Okay, yeah. count it down, I'm going to hit enter. Three, two, one. Damn, interesting. Um, so this year. Wait, hold my... on, hold on. Ammer, was your number the percentage of contracts or percentage of revenue? A percentage of contracts that are fine. Mine was con- mm. mine was mine was of contracts, but I would have guessed sixty yeah. percent of revenue. No, 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 sixty oh, percent of contracts. Yo, you guys yeah, are okay. both wrong. It's ten percent of contracts are fine. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, you're not. You're not. Your price is too low. Your price is too low. Well, so dude. here's so here's what here's what we're here's what we're changing. So we actually have this coming out next year, which is something that's. Um, mm. Well, I don't really want to. Everyone knows. Amber guessed sixty percent. I guessed thirty-five. I... Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We didn't yeah. say that. Um, so mm-hmm. one thing is that we're there's actually two things going on. Amber, we're, we're selling less uh, premium and lifetime materials than we could on on average per house, um, and that is due to the fact that we're not selling with financing as well as we could be. Yes. Um, but then there's also the fact that if we are selling more of our contracts with financing then yes, you can charge more to do so, especially with promotional financing packages. Things like, um, you know, you know, no payments, no interest for six months. Uh, you can do interest buy-down packages for the loan. Um, well, and, and a so, lot of your competitors don't have access to that, right? So, Well, not of our... I would say, like, there's no competition for that. Exactly, right? Like, like, yeah. I, like, well, in, in, like just in my area, and it, like, I'm sure there's other roofing companies in larger cities than Gatineau. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's no, like, I shouldn't say this cause I should probably do way more of a deep dive before this, but as far as I can tell, all of our competitors that we got up against this year do not offer financing, um, which may seem like a small point, but that's actually a massive, no, it is, it is. Like, and this is why, and, and yeah. uh, the brick, like that's a big thing for them. Yeah. We're literally selling like 100, per, like the way we're going to sell next year is financing first. Oh yeah, like I like the yeah. Leon's and the brick. Like uh, I think they it's don't Leon's even sell the product the, name or the product price tag. No, no, like Le- like Leon's has a thing called "Don't pay a cent." Like that's yeah, I know. Like, yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. Literally, their advertisement is "Don't pay a cent," right? Like uh, if you go to the brick, like they're like, yeah, this one costs twenty bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Like they don't even <laughs> they don't even sell you on how much the, the couch costs. I remember, yeah. uh, or like and, uh, the brick in, is pretty is savage as fuck because theirs is don't you don't even pay for two years. Yeah, it's actually nuts, and and they're probably at a point where they're financing a lot of the things themselves. No, it's no, all, they're not. It's all it's no, no, yeah, they 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 uh, uh no, they package it all and sell it. They don't. Do yeah, Ford is uh Ford is a really good example of self financing. Ford finances all their own vehicles. 
Yeah, they probably have a like a like a capital division though. Like they're yeah. a huge company. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so no, like selling with financing is something that um, I'm getting better at and getting trained on more and more as the weeks have gone on since November started. Uh, we started meeting with our with our financing company once a week. Um, and the way you can sell with financing is it, it's literally a new dimension of sales. Like it's like coming from the way we grew up selling, I would say, oh, right? Yeah. Like, like when we're selling with financing, it's, it's not necessarily now, um, the, the, the price funny enough just becomes like almost a, th- like not e- like, like just more of a secondary factor. And you can actually have a more honest conversation about what's best for the property um, as opposed to dealing with this like really high dollar amount that is inevitable in roofing. Like you're going to have a high, like there's large so ticket true. prices. There are large ticket prices. People who move into a house when they're in their early thirties and they have like four young kids and it's their dream home. If they're putting an asphalt roof on that house, they are losing because like if their goal is to live there for, you know, raise their kids in that house, by the time their kids are going to college, um, they're going to need to replace that roof again. And they're going to have to pay uh, a price that's like going to increase 5% year over year with the increase of costs. And they're going to end up paying in 20 years what a lifetime roof would have cost today. You know, like it's it's actually quite ridiculous the amount of money they can save. Like the, the rule of thumb is... Oh, interesting, yeah. The rule of thumb is like, unless you're trying to predict the market and try to time the market for when you're selling the house which is like the one asterisk because I guess you could try, but it doesn't mean you would. Roofs probably don't increase the value of the home very much. Well, asphalt roofs don't at all, almost. Um, lifetime roofs, uh, if installed by a reputable company that actually offers like a bumper-to-bumper full-service maintenance on the roof, um, it, it, it can increase it from anywhere from 5 to 8%. I, I, um, I, would, I would view like a roof kind of almost more like a foundation yeah. where it's like people just expect it to be in like workable condition. And if it's not, then they want a discount. But if it's in good condition, I don't know if they're willing to pay more. Correct. Yeah. So it's like most roofs are like that. There's certain technologies that, um, it does make the property worth more. It's like having one of those. Well, maybe it, maybe it it makes it more desirable. Therefore worth more. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, but if you look at it logically though, I mean, if you were to break down like a formula for evaluating a house and, and, and yeah. I'm sure there is one, but like we, we don't have access to it. At least I don't um, I think like a gr- probably bullshit. Like a, yeah, exactly. Like a granular formula, like state of house, including like foundation, roof, septic, well, all these things. Right. Um, knowing that you will never need to replace the roof in the time that you own the house objectively increases the value, but whether or not it's something that, is yeah like asphalt you know you're gonna have to replace again it's just a I just, band-aid right like but. where i was going though is like uh like if you have like stainless steel appliances and like quartz countertops yeah like no. you can probably like get like a 100 return on the money you spend on that like yeah, it's just exactly. silly like it's, yeah. it's it's hilarious how much people are willing to pay yeah. for like cheap materials that just look modern yeah whereas if you replaced your roof they'd be like cool like they just wouldn't care yeah, yeah, i don't know yeah, yeah. that's that's the yeah. way that's, that's no way i know what you mean it, i know what you mean so um yeah uh, essentially what i'm saying is um financing is something that i'm taking head on right now to learn how to sell like at, at an expert level with financing and it just actually gets me it gets me fired up 
Like, I got it's get a this. Huge, it's a huge opportunity. Dude, th- this is actually this blew my mind. So with our financing rep, uh, I love the guy. His name's his name's Tyler. Shout out Tyler, just a lad. I enjoy meeting with Tyler. Tyler and I, you know, like you know, you're just like bouncing ideas off each other, like sometimes we do, and you just yeah. get like so fucking. You're just like on the edge of your seat. We figured yeah. out, okay, so like we we like a, a particular product a lot. It's called Euroshield. It's a rubber shingle. It's made from recycled car tires. Calgary, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I talked about it here. So that usually comes in at around two point five to three times the cost of an asphalt roof, but it's a lifetime roof with immensely more value. Um, so, but that scares a lot of people, obviously, with the ticket price. So, like, a ten thousand dollar roof immediately becomes a twenty five thousand dollar roof. So. Naturally, a lot of people aren't inclined to take that 2.5x hit or what they think is a hit for what they think is a non-proven technology because it's relatively new relative to the asphalt shingle timeline. But if you look at a way that we would would be able to function uh, like with a few different options. So if you look at like interest buy down, for example, right now, variable interest rates are super high on, on construction loans, especially lines of credit. And so you're going to be paying a, you know, anywhere from like an eight to 11% open, uh, like a variable rate on a line of credit or, um, or a construction loan right now. Or even higher. Oh yeah. Yeah. In Quebec, I think it's, uh, with prime rate, I think it's over 12, which is pretty nuts. Or I um, would doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. Quebec obviously. Is I bet it's eight. I bet, I bet it's prime plus eight, eight to 11. <laughs> yeah. Uh, possibly. Yeah. It sounds about right. I mean, it might be like, yeah, prime plus 7.99, but, um, uh, so if you look at like a promotional deal where we buy down their interest to, uh, like something closer to like seven, um, and we look at the term length for an asphalt roof being 10 years and the term length for, uh, something like a Euroshield roof being 15 or 20 years, depending on the comparables, um, you could get a monthly payment to be the exact same. Yeah, right? one's just longer, yeah. Yeah, one's longer, and you're also buying down their interest a little bit in the premium option. Um, and whether or not, like, we, we tr- like, you know, you could, uh, you could ask them to pay for it, or we could just include that in our pricing for all of those types of roofs, right? But, um... It's pretty insane when you get to look at them because there are biggest like the biggest challenge right now for for closing someone on that is actually just the radical difference in price. Man, right? well, it's actually but a when you huge well, when you factor. use financing, like you can actually get them to be the same, and that Ooh. is something that's like it, it's pretty scary um, if someone doesn't understand the implications of that. So you're also there to like educate them on why it's in their best interest to consider that as an option. But also knowing the the pros and cons of it, right? But you're you're not just trying to push like a twenty year loan on someone for your benefit. It's like actually has to make sense for them. But it just reduces the friction of looking at the option, you know, and, and actually considering it. Because if they well, know, there's a that, bunch of different examples like this, man. Yeah. Like uh, yeah. like uh, like Tristan, I think said it best recently. He's like, because Tristan just bought like a like a king size mattress with a bunch of like you know like a bunch of basically like a bunch of like like a bedroom set, and it was like okay. I don't know like sixty five hundred dollars. And he always goes through the brick because he likes the fact that it's like a, it's like a, you don't have to pay for two years. It's right. Nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. And then from there, I think it like converts into a loan. I forget. He's got like something where it's like, it makes sense. But, um, but, but he said it best. He's like, man, like, he's like, I make all this money. And it's like the thought of spending $6,500 is like ridiculous. Yeah. Right. So it's like, 
how the hell would anyone, you know what I mean? Like, because he makes a lot of money and it's like, how the hell would he, you know, afford or like rationalize spending $6,500 on that, right? He wouldn't unless it was this like prepackaged loan, right? Um, and then this is actually, so this was actually one of my, uh, my, my central thesis for why HP is undervalued was, a, was a similar line, uh, line of thinking because, uh, like, so ink, everyone kind of has like this idea that ink printers are completely like are dying or outdated technology, which I'm not going to deny by any stretch, but consumer adoption to the more expensive upfront cost model has just not been there. Mm. So even though it's like I have I have a brother printer printer for example mm. and it's a toner a toner uh, it's not ink it's like toner so it, mm. like I the printer itself was like maybe like six hundred dollars and then the toner is like maybe I go through like two of them like so like one hundred fifty bucks each so it's like six it's like three hundred dollars a year in toner and then I had to buy this fucking printer for six hundred bucks right versus before before I, I i didn't even know there was an option i had an hp printer and i had ink right and i was spending like i don't know a hundred dollars a month in ink and the printer was like 40 bucks mm. <laughs> right but I, I but i never swapped because i just i didn't know there was an alternative but then but when i found out there was an alternative i had enough money i was like this makes sense because i do commercial printing mm-hmm. but for the average person to actually think holy shit i'm gonna spend six hundred dollars or sorry if you bought two toners with it and the thing you're gonna spend nine hundred dollars in one transaction it's so because that one transaction's such a high cost mm-hmm. they're actually willing to pick the least the uh, less efficient mm-hmm. option that has a lower price tag now yes yeah hence why you see load another example uh and, and i'll conclude um low demographics surprisingly enough sometimes we'll spend quite a bit more on uh food than middle demographics and you think well how the hell is that possible it's because lower demographics eat out a lot more. So like, like a lower demographic will eat a ton of food like at like McDonald's, which actually costs them more if they were to buy, than if they were to buy groceries. But they're but they're but they're more comfortable spending ten dollars at a time than going to the grocery store and spending two hundred dollars on groceries in one transaction. So it's interesting, right? The transaction cost really matters. Mm, yeah, it does. Damn. And it can affect people. To, it, it, but what I find so fascinating with that is that the transaction cost and the and back to Amber's point, pleasure versus pain, buying the buying the ink on a monthly basis actually doesn't cause that much. It doesn't cause as much pain as a $900 transaction. Yeah, yeah. So when so when so when people pitch them as like all these brands are trying to pitch people on, hey, why do you guys still use ink? fucking swap over to epson or whatever you know yeah, yeah, let's yeah. pay a shack a gazillion dollars to fucking be our response person they're thinking that oh it's a positive switching cost they'll save money if they switch to you know and then that's all they're advertising is switch over to us and you'll save money they're not realizing the switching cost isn't the savings over 12 years or 10 years or five years it's the switching cost is how much it's going to cost them next this month yeah 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 nuts sly Slide. Yeah, master. that's why I like HP. Makes sense. I can say as someone who's on the ground selling the selling the roofs that uh, I'm excited to to learn more about the uh, about the financing as like you know just really doing financing first and to learn more about that. It's definitely been a challenge with some of those higher ticketed items. 
uh, to sell them with that notion that the client's going to pay for it. Although they do tend to get their own, they people a lot of people have their own lines of credit, Line of credit of some kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how they end up paying it. Like no one's just like, oh yeah, I'm going to take 20k out of the checking account and put it right here, you know. Um, so that's, but it's also just showing them that like there's the convenience of it of doing it with us is just astronomically easier. Like yeah. it's, it's, you're, we're sitting there already and we can get them approved within five minutes. Like, yeah, but is, the thing is, is right yeah. now is that, uh, we, which is really scary, but we're seeing when people say they have lines of credit <clears throat> when they're thinking yeah. about doing home improvement work, like 80% of the time it's a HELOC, like a home equity line of credit. Yeah. It's oh, not, and it, they might not have the money. Well, no, here's here's the problem. Uh, from like 2010 to 2021, you could get a HELOC as, as long as you've owned your home for like 8 to 10 years. Like if you owned your home for 8 to 10 years and you've been making regular payments, banks were like, yeah, yeah, HELOC, HELOC, yeah. HELOC. Like yeah, you, yeah. you have enough equity, roll it back to yeah, you. Yeah, like yeah, we'll yeah, finance yeah, yeah. you the same amount again happily, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but now home prices are coming down. And yeah, I was about, I was about to say and, and HELOCs, wanna, dude, yeah. HELOCs are getting recalled. Like, yeah. you can get a HELOC for let's say I don't know 100k because let's say you you own, let's say you've paid, let's say you bought your house for 500k in 2015. In 2021, maybe that house was all the way up to 900k in value. Let's we'll say a million for easy money. Okay, a million, right? And then and then. And then you go in 2021 and you're like, I'd like to get a HELOC. Well, you've only paid off like 50K your house, but now you have like 250K in equity, right? And then it's like, oh my God, you, you, can, you can actually blend against that 250K in equity. And then the house goes down and you don't have enough yeah. real equity in the house. And, and the bank's like, oh, well, uh, we're going to need that back because your house actually went down in value. Wait, just and so if someone already used the HELOC though, they can't ask for it back, can they? No, but they can recall it before it gets paid yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, but, 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 yeah, yeah. But yeah. what I am saying is that I've heard of people and through through my finance my finance rep, um, of people that have actually like owned the home, got a HELOC, hired a contractor, work is Couldn't going on, work is taking place, right? You go to pay someone and the bank's like, no, nah, it doesn't exist anymore. Dude, that's fucking, that'd be a nightmare. So like, that's, that's why I think financing through something well, like that's what we're offering to, is actually going to have to finance it right then and there. Right. But yeah. that's actually going to be based on their credit, right? Like not something that's based on like how much they own in their home, you know? Um, like yeah, it's going to, it's going to be hell. based on their credit, like their debt income ratio. Well, those their, are risks, man. Those are, well, those like, are you know, G risks. Gabe and I have definitely been in like, I would say, I don't know, Gabe, what, like four or five scenarios this year where people actually like want to work with us but they just have too high of a debt income ratio right like yeah yeah like and it's, it's also shocking the people who have that yeah, like, oh, yeah. yeah. oh yeah, yeah dude yeah. oh yeah the guy's got a porsche guy's got a beautiful house and he didn't get approved or like he had to get it at like a higher interest rate because like it was like it was like a an extended financing at a higher interest rate in, his, in, his, in that guy's enough. defense though like if like my 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 debt to income ratio might be like fucked because i don't pay myself yeah that much out of my business like yeah. so in his defense Fair. like it's hardest like he might be no no for sure yeah i think i think no, we, no, all, just, we just all might shocking. fail financing in theory like yeah oh yeah Banks depending on the amount i'll yeah. speak for yourselves boys i think i'm, I think I'm passing <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly well it's yeah, like on paper if you show a bunch of money it's like well that's good for 
for getting approved for loans, obviously. But. Well, banks, yeah, banks yeah, exactly. would love to rent, lend to my businesses, and I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I want to borrow it personally, and they don't want to lend it to Yo, me. Yo, John, you know, <laughs> yesterday or Friday, I got a, another piece of mail saying, hey, Austin, you're approved for uh, for a line of credit at this much money for this amount of interest. And I'm like, Dude, they never I'm like they're money. selling that raw material off, like John said, you know, money is a raw material to banks, right? So, yeah. Well, they, yeah, they want people to use it. Well, I think also they want, um, I think the reason why they want that is because um, right now, I think there's a bit of a land grab going on for consumer debt. Mm. So banks want to convert a lot of the credit card debt, which a lot of banks don't actually hold themselves and they want to convert it to line of credit. Why would that be uh, beneficial to them? Because they can loan it out at high interest rates. Mm. Yeah. Well, like, and it's, and it's let me ask you this, secure. right? Let me let me ask you this, okay? So, like, because you can have a line of credit that's like, so here's an interesting thing: you could have a line of credit that's secured against their home. That's not home equity line of credit, but it could just yeah. be like collaterals their yeah. home, yeah, uh, or their car or something like that. Um, and then, uh, but they could have credit card debt that's unsecured, so it's un it's unsecured yeah. debt. So you can actually then have you can convert it to a, a interest rate that's that's so you can convert it you can convert it from someone else's unsecured debt to your own secured debt. If assuming they have a secure line of credit, um, and get like a higher interest rate, I don't know. And then also, it's it makes the customer really sticky, because once someone has debt like uh, uh like a line of credit with you, and it's secured against their home and they have a mortgage, like they're just not going anywhere. It's like it's like a, it's a customer for life. Yeah. yeah. They want to try and get you hooked up as much as they can. Like a bank wants to try. But and dude, get imagine you as imagine lending. As imagine like a HELOC. Let's say okay. Imagine yeah lending, or borrowing the money against something that's depreciating <laughs> like like yeah. you're almost paying for it three times right like you're paying for the fact that you didn't have the money so you had to loan it then you're paying for the interest on the loan and you're paying for the fact that your Dude, house is actually depreciating it's like what? here's the thing the, the like fuck but put it this way my my biggest realization from uh, studying the banking industry is that scary. I'm, no, no, I'm, I'm not even like, it's not even, it's not even convinced at this point. It's just a fact. The average like middle-class American, most of their life is spent consuming and paying down bank products. Like it, it single family home is just a bank product at this point. Mm -hmm. Like a car is, most cars are actually just a, a loan product. Like it's fascinating to me how much of the economy really comes down to loans yeah loans yeah yeah and get it this this is this i uh i heard about so now for old people that own their homes but they like let's say they don't have a pension and so they've thought they've retired but they they own their home basically outright it's kind of like a heloc but it's like the way they advertise it is like a reverse mortgage. It's, so yeah, it's like dude, this is the dirtiest oh. fucking. It's dirty. It's dirty as fuck. Okay, okay what is it? What is it? Trick. What is it? They're like, they're like, here's, we're gonna give you instead of you made you made payments of two thousand dollars a month for to pay off your mortgage for this entire time for these last twenty five years. Now we're gonna give you two grand a month. Dude, and ask, we're gonna pay dude. that till you die. But dude. it's your debt, dude. dude. So that means you when you dude. die, you give your kids a house which has which has a massive mortgage dude. on it. Now you're basically yeah, giving so your basically, children debt. This, so it's you can fucked. spend your whole dude literally. 
the, dude, guys, I'm not kidding. And this is why I'm investing in banks because I just, I'm just, at this point, I'm just like, there's no way <laughs> to do this. But, <laughs> so, but, so, John's like, like uh, fucking tag me in. Let me get on this I'm reverse mortgage shit. It's so yeah. fucking crazy when you think about it, but I fucking love it as well. I, I still it's don't just, understand though. What, why would no, they pay and, it back to so, you? So, uh, Austin, so here's, no, no, Austin, here's how it works. So, so you spend the first, like, at 25, you spend the first 25 years paying off your mortgage, okay? But it doesn't take you 25 years because the bank convinces you to get HELOCs along the way and you have to pay off the HELOCs. So it really takes you until you're 60, okay? And it'd be thanks to, thanks to the pharmaceutical industry and modern medicine, we actually don't stop people from dying anymore. We, we, we extend your life to 85, which is great for the banks because now there's, we, have, we have people that can borrow more money for longer. And so up until age 60, you finally get yourself debt-free and you're like, holy shit, I want to retire. And the bank now approaches you and says, hey, do you remember how you just spent the last 30 years paying off your mortgage? We'll tell you what, how about this? How about we dole out $2,500 a month back to you? And then when you die, you can just, you can just pass, you can just pass the home back off to your kids. So then your kids then inherit the house and either sell it. And then it goes to someone else who obviously has a loan to buy the home or your kids pay it down for 30 years. And then, so it's just like, dude, it's always a loan that house is always having a loan on it. It's either getting paid down or, or it's getting paid back. And when it's getting paid back, you're paying interest on it. It's being marketed as like a form of a pension for those who don't have a pension. It but it's basically, not at it's, all. it's actually, I'll say this. It's, it's, it's actually not as dirty as it seems. It's actually, to be honest, it's actually the most feasible way that someone who's 60 and has no retirement savings, but has, um, you know, is home rich. We've actually talked about this. Remember how I said how most people use their, um, how the housing market's propped up because most people use their um, single family home as a retirement account? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. Well, now that there's reverse mortgages, I actually fucking stand by it. It's honestly, at this point, it basically is just a retirement account. And the beauty of it is before... And this is where I'll stand by that I was probably wrong is I was like, dude, like what's going to happen to the housing market when everyone realizes that you can't fucking, you have to sell it and everyone goes to sell at the same time. That was my, that was my like big kind of bearish statement. Now it's like, fuck, I was wrong because now you can just fucking reverse mortgage your (laughs) your home, right? I guess so. Yeah. I I feel like the the smarter decision for many of these older folks would be to like sell the big house that they have and then downsize to like a rental place. They, they, they get a massive payout. They get that money. They, they can invest that and then rent, like actually rent a place that's smaller, right? Like, yeah, but banks don't um, want that though. No, I know banks don't want that. I'm just saying that's a smart decision for the people. A bank, a bank doesn't want someone to sell their property. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't change it that much, but but they'll make more money off the reverse mortgage. And the other thing too with yeah. the reverse mortgage that's also sneaky too is there's probably a lot of fees you can hide in there. So. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Dirty. It's basically another way of looking at it, Austin. It's basically um it's like it's like a it's like you're borrowing against your home as a form of income. Mhm. Yeah. No, I understand it now. It's just it's, it's But you wouldn't pay taxes on it or anything like that cuz it's not technically income. So it's actually tax efficient, like versus selling your, see the issue is if you sold your home, I guess it's your primary residence, but you're going to pay capital gains. Mm-hmm. So the idea behind a reverse mortgage is actually quite smart, which is why no, I'm there, there would definitely be it. some taxes on that. There's no way there's no taxes on that. No, there's no taxes. Uh, you, no, you don't pay taxes when you borrow money. But it's. No, Gabe, but yeah, you don't pay oh, more. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah. Th- yeah. Th- that's why, no, that's, that's one of the big pitches. It's actually a, pr- to be honest, it, it's actually, which I don't even know what the fuck this would mean, but there's like the the national retirement association, you know, is backed reverse mortgages. 
But um, yeah, because it's not income. That's the other NRA, National Retirement Association. (laughs) Dude, yeah, NRA. Fucking love it, National Retirement Association. But no, it's it's not income. It's it's borrowed. It's borrowed income. Damn. And then all, and then matter of fact, it's even better because uh, you, um, it's all the interest is tax deductible too. So if you had other rental income or something like that, or you had some sort of other pension, you could also then like you know, not pay taxes on it. So it's actually, it's actually not a bad product. It's just, it's just hilarious that you spend the first 30 years paying off your mortgage in the last 30 years, you fucking spend giving it back to the bank and then you pass it on to your fucking family and say, sell this motherfucker. Yeah. Cause if let's say like you're done paying off the house, you're 70, you stop working, you don't have a pension, but you live until you're 90, which means you're taking it out every month for 20 years. You give a house that needs to be repaid off completely. Yeah, well, or I mean, maybe not. It I, depends I'm how sure much that, money you want to take out per month. I'm sure at like some that. point in time they'll stop loaning you money. Like, yeah, like they won't go like below like probably like I don't know like seventy five twenty five loan to value. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Right. Like yeah, at scary. some point in time, like you know, that's scary. You, you can't. Yeah. But then also at the same time, if you think about it, if the home continues going up in value, then they'll continue like the loan to value. Like it's not like so if you had a million dollars, a million dollar home. And they basically say to you, hey, like, you're going to be alive for the next 25 years. Um, and then in that time, we predict that the home is going to go up in value. Let's just for easy math, let's say assume inflation is 2 to 3%. So that would mean that it won't quite double. But let's just, just, for, it's just for easy math, let's just say it goes from a million to 2 million. You actually have access to roughly $1.5 million in equity mm. over the last 30 years of your life. And if you divide that by 30, that's a pretty fucking, that's a pretty solid number, mm-hmm. right? What mm-hmm. is that? Uh, $50,000 a year, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Damn. Well, boys, I think it's good night, Austin, here. I got to take off. But uh, reverse mortgages, I'm going to think about while I sleep tonight. Yeah. <laughs> is there a angry. YouTube video that explains it easier? No, I just looked what, it up on the side. What, I think they what's, did a great job at explaining it. Yeah, what do you mean? That I, what did you not understand? I thought that was. I'm gonna let Amber go to get a lesson yeah, yeah. in reverse mortgages here. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. See you guys. Amber, See basically, uh, effectively. Two steps. Yeah. Yeah. So the easiest way of understanding it is, you're a homeowner. You have, and you don't have to own 100 percent of your home, but you have equity in your home. Okay. Correct. So you can free that equity. Yeah. The bank is basically saying, "Hey, we will give you a loan in installments of." $2,500 a month or, you know, $3,000 a month and you name, you know, depends on how much equity you have, right? $3,000 a month such that you have an income of $40,000 a year tax-free. And basically the amount that we pay you goes onto your mortgage each month. Yeah, I, I don't get it. So, so you never get the money? No, you do. No, no, Like, so like they're, they're saying, hey, like a million dollar mortgage, or sorry, million dollar home. You own one hundred percent of it. We will give you three thousand dollars a month, but the amount that we give you is being loaned to you against your house. So I get three thousand cash. Yeah. And then now, but every time I you get a payment, that amount turns into a mortgage on your home. But now I owe the bank three thousand. Against your home, yes, in the form of a mortgage, yes. What? So you, people do this when they need cash. Uh, not when they need cash, but when they need income. Oh, interesting. It's being pitched to elderly people. Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen it pitched to elderly. Cool. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's be only being pitched to elderly because, of course, um, 
But it's interesting though, because if you think about it, most elderly people can't really get loans because like they're going to die obviously. So it's like, you don't want to loan people money that are going to die, but you're not, but what you're really doing is just loaning against the house. So it's totally fine. Mm -hmm. But what if the, what if, what if the value of the house goes down like 20 years later when the, when the old folks die, the value of the house is 10% less than what it was 20 years before then you have well it depends on how problem. long it takes them to right. die um yeah but also you're not commit i mean you can at any point in time you could probably there's probably like a lot like i mean this would be super savage if you were relying on it but um i'm sure that there's i mean i, I i'm not as familiar with reverse mortgages as, as um as i am other products but because they're actually relatively new but at some point in time i'm sure that the bank has the ability to cut it off and say hey like we're not willing to loan against this asset anymore which at that point would be pretty dirty because now you're stuck with a home that you just have payments on. Because you just have a mortgage. Yeah, yeah. So pretty savage. I don't know. Cool. It, the, the world revolves around money. You're, you're right, John. Well, it revolves around loans. Banking. Yeah, loans. Lo loans. Yeah, loans. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything you buy nowadays is... Well, not everything, but a lot of things you buy nowadays are some... It's, it, it's going to be... A you know what's interesting? what a uh, a bank is kind of like a SaaS company where the product is a house or a car no that's you that's to pay, you have to yeah. pay a subscription dude so honestly so amber like so i i think was i was i was it you that i was telling you about like i almost think the way that we're tech, heading tech towards growth the future stocks. you were comparing banks to tech growth stocks well i was saying that that you can find a lot of banks that grow fairly similar to like a good tech company not like an excellent tech company, like not 50% annual growth or anything like that. You would not want to invest in a bank that was 50% annual growth. You'd want to get the fuck out of a bank that was growing that fast. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> that was, the first book I read was called Funny Money, and that was about a book or about a bank that grew a little too quick. A yeah. little too quick. A little too quick, yeah. Um, so, yeah, if, if, they're, if the bank is located in anywhere around, is making energy loans and it's growing quickly, you should probably get the fuck out. <laughs> If a bank is in Florida and it's making real estate loans, you should probably get the that's really rapidly. You should probably get the fuck out. Um, if you're in if you're in New Jersey making uh, uh, marijuana uh, loans, you should probably get the fuck out. Um, okay. What we're talking about though? Um, oh yeah, I, I think that where yeah. we're almost heading as a society is eventually uh, you'll you'll just get like social credits that like have a certain lifestyle attached to them. Like, you know, you could say that money is a social credit. So, you know, that, that would ver that would count. But so it's like rather than saying like, hey, I earn $30,000 a month. It's like, hey, I have this lifestyle package. So it's like, hey, I actually have, I have lifestyle package B, which comes with an Apple iPhone. It comes with a Mercedes. It comes with this style of house. Like, <laughs> and you, I just pay this much per month for that lifestyle. All of these restaurants, I can eat them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I went to Earl's again because it was so good. Dude, Earl's is great. Yeah, Patrick and I had a dinner. It's pretty cool. Um, I'm on a four-day fast right now, so. Oh, yeah. Is that just to, like, reset your gut? Yeah. Fair enough. Cool. You want to do Walker versus Wise? Let's do it. Okay, cool. So this is uh, Lil Uzi. Dude, what is with your... Oh, dude, that's scary. That, that was scary. I just got an ad for a SaaS software. <laughs> Dude, that's pretty. Yo, they're listening, bro. That's Dude, pretty that crazy. that's too coincidental. You literally awesome. said SaaS. It's literally just called SaaS.com. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. <laughs> that is so crazy. All what? right, cool. 
This Wait, is, is this uh, the Lil guy Uzi. that got killed recently. No, no, relax. No, God forbid. The little Uzi Vert two weeks ago just dropped the song. Just want to rock. Seventeen million views. Here we go. Why is the video a weird shape? It's on purpose. The ratio is like a one one. I just want to rock. Body of the yard. Project, project, this ain't what you want. This ain't what you want. Ha! Sixty hundred block. I just wanna rock. I just wanna. I just wanna rock. Body out of ya. Shorty got that body out of ya. Hit it once, no time. Side up, fuck you gon' kill my vibe. Stand on my money, don't know my size. Pick them sides, and you better choose wisely. That's my heart. One, two, three, four, four, five, five. Are you feeling this or no? That's my heart. This is terrible. This is yeah, I'm vibing with it. Damn. This ain't what you Project, project. This ain't what you This ain't what you It's that's not even a song. Oh man! Like I don't even like. What are even the lyrics, <laughs> dude? There's no lyrics, Amber. This isn't even no. That's yeah, not there even, is. There's not even lyrics. There, there's the lyrics. Okay, ha, sixteen hundred block. I just want to rock. Shake it down. I just want to ah, seven times. I just want to rock. Body Odie, yeah. Shake it down. Shoddy got that body OD. Ah, ah, ah. Shake it down. Hit her once. No ties. Shake it, shake it. How the fuck you gonna kill my vibe? Shake it down. Stand on my money. Don't know my size. Shake it, shake it. Put them sides and you better choose wisely. Shake it, shake it down, down. That's my high. One, two, three, four. Throw up the five. Shake it, shake it. That's my high. Damn, <laughs> damn. One, two, three, four, throw up the five. Terrible. <laughs> yes. That's what I was going for. All right. Okay, uh, I have two quotes. One's short, one's a little bit longer. Um, okay, so the context here is uh, Sandy is uh, talking to his managers about making mistakes. He says, the only mistake you can make that's unforgivable is if you make a mistake and try and hide it. If you have a problem, say so and we'll help you. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I like that one too. That's always been my mentality. It's like, I don't actually care if you guys make mistakes. Basically, the only mistake that you can't be forgiven is if you try and hide your mistakes. I like that. Yeah. Um, and then this one's kind of just an antidotal story of just like, I thought this was just like, there was wisdom in this in the sense that and I wanted to highlight this whole chapter, but this was like this, like there was this guy named Bob Lip and he basically 
went around and was like a cost cutter he just found a million ways to save money like there was like rumors of him like going into like the dumpster like get paper clips and like obviously that one wasn't true but just like it just goes to show how crazy this guy was about like saving money um or like not saving money but cutting costs within his uh his banking division and i thought this was like a really just a funny story that kind of highlights that so None of the hyperbole bothered Lip. Indeed, he consciously sought symbols to demonstrate how serious he was about cost control. A perfect opportunity soon presented itself. The facilities manager reported that the fountain was leaking into the garage below the headquarters pom um, promenade. The repair would cost about sixty thousand dollars. He said, "How much would it cost a pine? Or how much would a pine tree cost?" Lip asked. About $15, the nonplussed manager replied. Okay, drain the fountain, fill it with dirt, and put a pine tree in it, Lip said. Work on the fountain <laughs> captured the employees' attention the next morning as they streamed into work. When they left for home, they stopped in horror. In the place of their refreshing and uh, fanciful fountain was a straggly pine tree. <laughs> I just it's love just... that story. Because it's like, it's such a savage move. It's like, he just took a fountain, filled it with dirt, and like planted a tree rather than fucking having to pay for the maintenance of fixing it but also just the ongoing cost of running it yeah i remember reading that i'm like what's the i wonder what the cost is on culture you know like uh, yeah i'm not gonna lie there was a lot of me questioning what's the cost on culture to that a lot of stuff but at the same time um you know there's also an there's also an idea that what's the benefit of building a different culture oh okay yeah right like there's the idea it's like hey guys this is how committed we are to actually like turning this business around Oh, is this an 08? No. Oh, okay. No. No, what happened was um, Sandy, most of the acquisitions he made were obviously like distressed assets because that tends to be when you get a better price. Um, but he would buy distressed assets. Okay. And then turn them around. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a space I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into a smart way. Buying distressed contracting businesses. I think that's going to be fun. Yeah. Tristan and I had a conversation about that, about like when we'd want to add our second location or just, you know, another business. And I said, you know, I, I really do think that patience is a virtue in this sense. Cause I said, it seems like, um, right now people want to sell their businesses, but they don't necessarily need to sell them. And I said, I don't, yeah. I almost think that the time to buy would be when people need to, not when they want to. Well, definitely. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest catalysts for buying, uh, distressed assets is actually coming and it's been coming for a long time which is that a lot of business owners are either dying or retiring i read a stat and you know these stats are always pretty deceiving but uh and this was a bc stat but 75 percent of small businesses in bc the owner plans on retiring over the next 10 years and of the that amount only like half of them had a, uh, a succession plan yeah. there you go yeah. That's where we come in. That's that's where we come in for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, can I also get, do you have do you have time? Like, can I share two more stories? I got eleven minutes. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. before ten o'clock. I get it. Um, okay, two two quick stories, and both these were kind of anecdotal, but they also kind of like made me think about like what kind of business I'd want to get into, uh, mm. like next. Like I just I really Please. liked I really liked these. So when I was in New Zealand, here's two stories. One, thanks to Jeff Gannon, I'm realizing fuck entertainment is actually totally undervalued in a lot of ways hmm. um explain the logic well the logic is basically that it's 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 recession proof even though people would logically you'd think oh well if there's a recession people will cut out the entertainment no what ends up actually happening 
through consumer behavior is that people don't actually stop going to the movies. They don't stop fucking, you know, going to the club. They actually just stop eating healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they stop buying vegan bullshit and protein powder. They stop going to the gym. But people cut their gym membership faster than they cut their their uh, movie ship or their movie card. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, what do you think has more cancellations during COVID? Netflix or gyms? <laughs> obviously gyms, was, yeah. Facts, yeah, it was, yeah, obviously it was gyms, yeah. So, um, but anyway, so, but these two businesses that I was like, this is fucking brilliant. So, one was Pitch and Putt, interesting enough, like, just, just a mini golf course. Mini golf courses that are in locations where you can be open year-round outdoors are actually a fucking brilliant business model. I was, so I walk up to this lady and it's like, we like, we go to Pitch and Putt. It's like, it's like not, not a very big lot, like maybe like a quarter of an acre, you know, I don't know how much the land would cost, maybe half a million dollars or so. And then, you know, the build out the, um, the pitch, like the, 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 the putt, the putting greens would cost, I don't know, maybe three, $400,000, maybe less, but probably somewhere around there. But if you think about it, it's like, you have no fixed cost. You have a 17 year old kid who's fucking running one booth, who's giving out golf. Like you have no, you have no expenses. Like you, have, you, you don't even have like, you don't even have, like you have like, you don't even have to water because it's all, it's all fake grass. You, you literally have like almost no expenses. Like it probably costs. No, there's a less. bar. What do you mean a bar? Is it, isn't there usually a bar in a mini putt place? This one was literally just like a pitch and putt where you walk up, there's like a few snacks you can buy and like, you know, it's, but it's basically just like, hey, it's, it's 10 bucks to go golf and it's 10 bucks for each, so 20 bucks. And, you know, like at any given moment, there was like maybe, I don't know, like it takes about maybe half an hour to play. And at any given moment, there was maybe five families on the course. So like five, five groups and each group was on average, maybe two people, uh, maybe three. So it's just go two. So it's a hundred dollars, uh, $200 an hour, you know, times that by like five busy hours, $500 a day times that by, you know, I don't know, 200 working days a year. I don't know if that's even logical, but you know, you got, you got a business that's going to be producing somewhere around, I don't know, hundred thousand dollars a year, but like, it's almost all straight cash flow. Hmm. Good and that's, and that's, that's just like quick math like that's just quick math but i was like that's Good an cash. interesting but that's but i was like interesting little business right like i never thought about because it, again like it's like it's such an unsexy unglamorous business this one though i thought was just the fucking best just love it so these guys i'm like what a brilliant idea they um they set up a barge about 150 yards uh from the shoreline into in in in, in the lake um, kind of like in the kind of in the little middle of the downtown area and uh there's a putting green on the barge okay and then they basically the goal is like if you get a hole in one you win ten thousand dollars cash so they were selling like 20 bucks for every five balls so there's like a long line of guys who all have these big egos that think they're gonna be the one that fucking smacks the ball in or whatever you know and they're all getting competitive and one guy gets close he buys another 20 bucks dude the line was like 30 people deep. Everyone, and, and they had a bar too. So guys are drinking, they're shooting golf, like they're having a good time. And no one's even coming close. No one's coming close. And all the balls are biodegradable. They're all like super cheap. Um, it's like, th- I think it was like 250 a ball if you wanted to shoot one, but it was like, or no, it was more than that. But either way, um, yeah. Wait, how far was this? 150 oh. yards. Oh, and it was above water? It was a barge, like in the lake. Oh, okay, okay. So you're hitting out to the barge. But I was like, man, like again, like your fixed costs are like literally nothing. And you're just like, your only cost is really just the ball. You're cleaning up. Yeah. Not even cleaning up. All the balls are biodegradable. The moment they hit the No, you're cleaning up money. 
<laughs> oh, dude. Oh, yeah, man. These guys, and it's all $20 bills. These guys, like, I was like, this is so insane. Like, because there was like five stands, all of them were filled. So I'm like, each of those guys pay 20 bucks. No, but John, be honest. The urge for you to join that line was pretty high still, right? Um, No, because I don't, like, I don't play golf whatsoever. But for oh. you in Austin, it would have been really high. And matter of fact, right. I bet I would have talked shit that you would have wanted to go do it. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then, but then if you were doing it and you talk shit, I'd probably swing out. I'd probably get out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it was. It was basically a bunch of it was a bunch of guys that all got competitive. It was mm. just so I just again I just I was like, man, that's such a funny and simple business. I mean, how scalable is that? I have no idea. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's just obviously not scalable. But it's just not. But it's this idea that you have such a uh, like a local advantage, and it's just cash heavy business. And I don't know, it's just it, it, I thought it was interesting. Okay, and what's the second anecdote? Well, that was the that was the two stories, the pitch and putt, and then these are two different businesses. No, oh. I'm saying one guy had a fucking had a, a barge in the middle of the like not in the middle of the lake, but 150 yards out that people were hitting golf balls at, which like there was no chance that anyone was hitting a hole in one. Like it was like the balls were like biodegradable; they were like not that good of balls. Like it just wasn't gonna work. Um, and uh, but even if they did, I mean, like what, like one in like a million shot? Like I couldn't even imagine what the odds are. Um, mm. <laughs> although, have you ever seen? Uh, uh, Tropic Thunder <laughs> the guy no. hits the $10,000 shot and then oh it's, if you don't know it you don't know it but oh, okay, okay. yeah basically they, I also tell you they, they, they're like yeah if you hit this shot you get $100,000 and the guy hits it and he's like what he didn't, he didn't have $100,000 and he's oh. like so he gave them the big check that's like fake and the guy like goes to the bank to try and cash it and he's like yeah the bank didn't take it he's like oh no maybe go to a bigger bank bigger check you know like <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> but um, um but then so anyway, i just i like those businesses because like man there's like no fixed cost it's like a one-time expenditure to set it up and then it's just like from there it's basically everything you take is just cash wow yeah that's pretty cool uh wouldn't wouldn't uh, a vending machine fall into that same thing no, not not really. No, because um, I mean, not that I don't think vending machines are uh, a good business, but uh, no, they're not because you have to. Um, th- there's a logistics side to that business. There's no logistics, and like you have literally a 17 year old kid handing people golf ball, golf clubs, and golf. What clubs. about an arcade? An arcade? Um, I don't mind the arcade business at all. Actually, I went to an arcade. I I spend a lot of money in arcades. Like I actually. Like Trish and I went to an arcade in, in New Zealand. We probably spent like two hundred dollars. What about bowling? Um, bowling can be a good business model. I feel like that one is. I don't know enough. Know I don't know enough about bowling. I, I I don't see why it wouldn't be a good business model. Um. I just, if I had the choice between setting up a uh, bowling alley and pitch and putt, there's just, there's pitch and putt is just a simpler business. Like there's just less, there's less things that can go wrong. Like there's nothing to fix. There's no machinery involved. Like bowl, the, the, my hesitation of, yeah, my hesitation of bowling is I feel like uh, bowling, um, I feel like there's more competition in bowling. Like, I, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like there's a lot of different options when it comes to bowling alleys. And I basically will go to. Like, I don't know, like, there's like seven bowling alleys in Kelowna where there's there's only one, there's only one uh, mini golf. Boys, you want to know another big one there? You make a ton of money with low fixed costs, or lo- sorry, low variable costs. Bungee jump. Okay. 
Yeah, the only like, thing I don't like about that one though is fucking that seems like a liability. Like I, I'd, ha- I'd have to. Your insurance is high for sure. That's but that's <laughs> yeah, your but only that's a fixed, fixed cost. cost. Other than that, other than that though, they charge 120 bucks a jump, uh, and you're paying you're paying teenagers and like people in their early 20s. You train them. You have you, you pay a lot for insurance. <sighs> I don't know, man. Dude, it's I, I know that I know that, in, I know that insurance covers that man, died. but I just feel like if you mistrain someone and they fucking kill, like I don't know, the, the, I could just see lawsuits on that. Like I just. And I and the thing is too is if you were a rich individual that like owned a bungee jump, I feel like you're just a fucking a lawsuit waiting to happen. I don't oh, that yeah, one. Just I just a landmine. Yeah, I don't know. I see where you, I I agree with you, Gabe. But I'm just saying the numbers the like I, the numbers are there. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I agree. It just to me like I don't want to get sued. <laughs> I just enough. that's yeah that's what I see there is just lawsuits and shit and just things going. Yeah, on. and they, and they invest also in, like where they invest the somebody's training. If one person died on your thing or something went wrong your brand is ruined forever. Like no one's ever using your bungee jump ever again. <laughs> like if yeah. you're known as like, oh yeah, they, they died. Someone died there, <laughs> you know, versus yeah, like there's, I, that's why I was like, I, there's nothing that can really go wrong with the golfing thing. Like either one of those. Really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, Amber. Um, good chat. Yeah, man. Yeah. Chatting. Uh, what are you excited for this, uh, this week? Um, shut the business down. Uh, this is our last week of production, basically. I think we have like one more job like the week after, but uh, yeah, shutting down for the year and uh, get do some lot of reading and yeah, just looking forward. I mean, honestly, I just this is I like just time good. off. Yeah, just looking forward to some time off, reading, and just kind of taking life a little bit slower and uh, just getting pumped for next year. Yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah, man. What's the number one thing this week, really quick? Um, onboarding a uh, new salesperson. It's exciting. That's it. Yeah, doing it properly. Yeah. Have you had any turnover? I, hmm. Have you had turnover zero. so far? Uh, in the sales department, zero. In fulfillment, we hired one person uh, to be like kind of an international district manager, like for TradeArc, like they would district manage. Um, and she joined with one caveat that she's had this business on the side with her dad for two and a half, three years. And they've been waiting for funding from angel investors for three straight years. And they never got she it. She joins got it. two weeks later, funding in. Okay, fair enough. Okay. That hardly counts as turnover. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, dude, we, I'm, I'm really proud and meticulous about the culture we're building. And uh, yeah, I mean, the Cole Gordon training has allowed me to kind of learn what to do and what not to do. The books to read. And it's like, uh, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. So. Um, one thing that we could do, um, after this, if you have a couple minutes is just, uh, I'd love to show you some of our numbers and you can maybe critique it. Like you would critique any publicly traded business. Like right if after you this call. Yeah. Okay. Sure. You, you, you're down. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for uh, watching and listening and, uh, see you in the next one. Wait, what, what, that's not what we say when we end it. What do we say? Uh, that's what it is. I felt wrong. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Thanks so much for call. tuning in this week. As usual, you can find us on Instagram at the weekly call pod or through email at the weekly call pod at gmail.com for any questions or comments about any of our material. And just to kind of pick our brain or even challenge us on a few things we said today. The intro and outro music was brought to you today by William Scott Thompson. You can find him on Spotify under that name. He has a lot of other great material on there that you can go listen to as well. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. We'll see you soon.